the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, June 2nd, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 244. Powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out Steak for Breakfast at thenationalpulse.com. There you'll find our exclusive members-only content and links that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Happy Friday, everybody. Big edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's out of the office. Antoinette's keying up. She's going to join us in just a bit. We've got a great slate of guests to America First. Congressman Corey Mills and Wesley Hunter are going to be here. The CEO of True Social, Devin Nunes, is going to be joining us. And we're going to sit down with News Nation's national correspondent now, Jorge Ventura. Can't wait to sit down and chat with him again. A lot of breaking news. Did the Republicans lose the debt ceiling battle? And does it mean that they've lost the war? We'll break it down. The House Oversight Committee keeps running into roadblocks with Christopher Ray and the FBI. We'll get you the latest. And Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis spar on the road in Iowa. We'll bring you the best clips and more. But before we get into any of the news, let's take it over to South Florida and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, joining us first on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's the congressman that represents Florida's 7th District. Always happy to have Mr. Corey Mills back on the show. Congressman, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks for taking the time out. We know you're uh, on the ground out in district today and uh, looking very busy, but it was a busy week up on Capitol Hill. Listen, no one's happy with the uh, deal that we got passed here regarding the debt ceiling. You know, we're going to be sitting down with Congressman Wesley Hunt, one of your America First counterparts uh, in just a little bit as well. We're also going to have Devin Nunes in here today, who I'm sure has got some interesting talking points to make on it as well. But Congressman, I, I know you even put in an attempt to make an extension to Janet Yellen's proposed June 5th deadline of when we run out of money. Where did we drop the ball here and where do you see us going from this point? Well, you know, here's the bottom line. You know, we passed a great bill, which was Limit, Save, Grow. It had clearly defined ceilings and caps. It was a one-year bill uh, that would have had a $1.47 trillion increase. You had nearly $1.2 trillion in available clawbacks when you look at the recension of all, not just a portion, but all of the IRS money out of the IRA. It removed some of the Green New Deal tax credits. It clawed back all the unused COVID emergency pandemic money. Um, and it also clawed back the $500 billion in executive order privileges that Biden had put in place with regards to tuition bailout, which is a violation constitutionally where he circumvented Article 1, which is Congress's rules and authority for finance and holding of the purse. So that was a brilliant bill. And while a lot of Republicans spend is being put on this, where they're trying to claim that limit, save, grow was the negotiating point, the bill that came out that was voted on on the floor a couple nights ago was not the same bill. That was completely two separate bills. When you look at the fact that this bill we just passed had no clear defined ceiling, only a January 1st, 2025 date. When you look at the fact that out of the 87 permit reforms, and the RAINS Act, which was included in Limit, Save, Grow, 
we got the Reigns Act completely stripped away, which would have stopped overregulation of small, medium-sized businesses that promotes economic growth. But it also only gets four out of the 87 permit reforms. Those permit reforms were key to help support and reinforce H.R. 1, which was our domestic energy bill. And so that would have helped us with our oil and gas and our actual fossil fuel industry to be able to get the permitting, the concessions, and all the necessary tools that they would have needed to continue to make us energy dominant. Then you look at the $80 billion that was allocated for the IRS. We had a full 100% recension and limit save growth. In this bill, it only rescinds $1.35 billion of the 80. It tells them you can't hire in fiscal year 23, which, by the way, ends in October. It says that we're going to purpose, repurpose $10 billion of that a year. So let's give it the best-case scenario that you got $21.5 billion of the $80 billion. That's still more than enough money for the IRS to go ahead and hire their 87,000 IRS you know, deep state army who we know targets the middle class at three and a half to five times higher rates than they do with the upper and lower class. So as a whole, they tried to say that PAYGO was going to be a way for us to basically deal with everything in appropriations. And that's true when you have actual ceiling caps and you have mandatory spending caps. That's not in this bill. And the language is so broad, by the way, that it actually allows the OMB director, who, by the way, works for President Biden, to waive the ability to go around these caps, which means that he has two ways that he can waive the capabilities to actually spend more than the $4 trillion we're estimating. Yep. So this bill, while we're hoping it only gets to a max of $4 trillion in two years, it could exceed that just based on his ability to use the OMB director for waivers. This bill as a whole in my opinion, is completely physically irresponsible. I don't think that it holds true at all to our Limit Save Grow Act. It does not give us two bites of the apple when it comes to being able to come back and evaluate economic growth in year 2024. And here's the further problem with this. When we have the majority in the House and you do not have the majority in the Senate and you do not have the, the, the White House, you have to use power of the purse as our way to ensure that bills are actually getting to the upper chamber and to the White House. This would allow us to say we want H.R. 2 there. We want Reigns Act. We want parental rights bill. We want uh, H.R. 1 domestic energy. We want our H.R. 2 border bill. All of those we could have said we're not going to do anything further until we start getting these bills reviewed, looked at, and put on the table. Well, that's gone now. So we've given him what he needs all the way through to his reelection of presidency as far as budget. Now there's no incentive or no negotiating that can go on the table. That's why I put in place the Back to the Table Act, which would have extended us out with all current obligations to help us to get back to the table to truly negotiate. Because I'll tell you something, and I, I, I'm not trying to be cumbersome in this, but that January 5th and that January or June 1st, sorry, and June 5th deadline Secretary Yellen put in place is an arbitrary deadline Correct. that she put in place that I don't feel was true in any way, especially as we're taking in more revenue now per month than we've ever taken in as a nation. And that doesn't even account you know, properly for our April and May tax uh, 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 revenue that's going to be coming in. And not to mention, many people ask for extensions on their taxes, yep. which means we're paying in May and June, which then means that we're having our tax revenue reflected in those months, which meant that this could have probably pushed us out in reality to July. But the Democrats played the hokey dance. They went ahead and said, no, 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 let's fear monger. Let's tell everyone that your Social Security 
your Medicare, Medicaid, and VA benefits stopped June 1st. Guess what? They would not have. This is not a government shutdown. This was a, here's money that's already been allocated. This is just paying the credit card now that we've already allocated all the funding. So all of those benefits would have continued to go. This whole negotiation. And again, I I used to run three different businesses. I was executive chairman of multiple boards. If I look at the American people the way I looked at my shareholders and say, hey, your shareholders are this negotiation. If I leave this table, is the shareholders happy? I can tell you something. With this deal right here, you would not have remained as the executive chairman for very long. I mean, you, you passed the buck to 2025, which takes a large component of argument's sake out of the GOP nominee when they get into a head-to-head matchup with Joe Biden in the general election right. campaign. That's number one. Number two, you broke it down perfectly for us, Congressman. So you guys can go in and dig the heels in during appropriations and pass on really responsible bills, all 12 of them, that take legitimate cuts out. And long story short, Joe Biden could do one of two things. He could have his director basically make up the distance or even fund them more or say, you want to know what? That optically, that's going to look bad. We're not going to do this, so we'll play the regular game. We'll talk. Or you just have the Senate who's controlled by the Democrats just say, no, I'm not willing to take up this appropriations bill. We're changing it. Exactly. And then you start getting into the neighborhood of continuing resolutions and eventual omnibus bill, which, again, is not going to look good for House Republicans heading into an election season. I know. And I will never sign an omnibus. I can tell you ahead of time, just like I wouldn't sign this bill, no matter how much uh, people tried to call and, 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 you know, get me to go ahead within leadership to change my vote. Not going to happen. I'm not saddling the American people who are already at nearly 32 trillion with an additional four to six trillion with no economic growth strategy. Again, as a business owner and for all those who own businesses, this is simple math. My account receivables have to exceed my account uh, uh, payables. And if it doesn't, I have to find a way to build enough revenue to offset those or cut costs in a way. But here's the reality. When you get to a certain size in business, you can no longer cut your way to profitability the same way that when you're at 32 trillion in debt, you can no longer cut your way to prosperity. We only can achieve that by actually getting our gross domestic production up, which is, in my analogy, your revenue, to ensure that it exceeds where you're not just paying what we need each time in our interest, but we're actually paying down the debt itself, which is the principal, and getting ahead. And I think that that way is through economic reform plans like HR1 with domestic energy and also ensuring that we have something like the RAINS Act, which stops over regulations and allows us to go around NEPA. So what do we think the solution is moving forward? I know there was over 70 who voted no on the Republican side. Obviously, a majority, overwhelming majority of the House Freedom Caucus and a lot of those America First uh, congressmen and women who jumped on board with you. Uh, I'm sure you guys are circling the wagons now and trying to figure out what the next plan moving forward is. I've heard, you know, everybody from Dan Bishop to, you know, uh, Wesley Hunt basically said that Kevin McCarthy has to be held accountable for these terrible negotiations. And as you're heading into appropriation season and then again, an election cycle in just a few months now, it's got to be a little bit worrisome for House Republicans who had a massive amount of momentum once they passed this bill and and moved it on to the Senate just two weeks ago. Well, that's exactly right. We are now at the table. We're negotiating, trying to strategize how we can make the best out of what we've actually got before us. But the other thing is, is that, you know, when you have, 165 Democrats and 149 Republicans, more Democrats than Republicans who voted for this bill. What does that tell you? It tells you it's a Democrat bill and it tells you who won the negotiations when it came table time. And so that to me is a huge issue. Whenever the American people elected a a Republican house majority to govern 
And meanwhile, it was the Democrats who actually pushed this bill across the line. So, you know, for me, this is very problematic. Uh, I'm obviously a very staunch America first conservative. I believe in fiscal responsibility. I believe in limited government. I believe in no taxation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that I just believe in us trying to go ahead and turn powers back over to our state legislators who've been disenfranchised since the 17th Amendment in 1913. Yeah. I mean, this for me is exactly the thing that's wrong with D.C. because what we've done is just continue the repetition of overspending without the actual checks and balances that are necessary. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, Congressman, I, I definitely think you guys are going to be able to rebound from this. I just know that some of the fighters... Well, we're not out of the fight, that's for sure. That's it. That's what I was alluding to. There's so many fighters in Congress right now, especially in this freshman class, who have literally seen some of the worst stuff possibly imaginable. So a bad bill getting passed might look bad optically for a little while, but it's how you guys you know, man the counteroffensive right now, which is going to mean everything moving forward. I absolutely agree. No, absolutely. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, I heard you mention America First. It's one of the big platforms that we run for here on Safe for Breakfast. You know, polls have been coming out all week. President Trump is just gaining steam. It doesn't seem to matter who gets in the race or what they seem to do. Uh, if it has to do with the lawfare that's being played against them, the negative press, the repression from the media, pretty much in totality, or or just the you know the standard hit pieces that he's come you know to take and, and become used to over the course of the last eight years. How do you see the president moving along right now as he was through Iowa this week and getting ready to hit the road again next week again? But you know, moving forward here, he he's obviously coming out as most likely going to be the nominee here. I don't see anybody catching him at this point. Well, he's absolutely going to be a Republican nominee. I just spent this uh, Saturday before last with, with the president. It was awesome. And uh, we talked a lot about uh, 40, the Agenda 47. You know, he's the only person right now who's running who actually has a policy political agenda. Correct. He doesn't actually sit there and just have talking points and use the term woke over and over and over. <laughs> so I can tell you ahead of time that President Trump's not only going to be the nominee, but he's going to be our 24 president who's sitting in, in the White House and helping to do the bold course corrections that America needs to be able to get back on track to that America first objective. And so he's feeling very good. He's feeling confident. He looks great. I mean, he's, he's, he's lost uh, quite a bit of weight and, and he's yeah. golfing every single day and he's energetic and he's just, he's motivated. You know, he is really about getting America back where it needs to be. And this is a guy who could spend his days sitting on the golf course and enjoying the rest of his life with his grandkids. But he believes in our nation. He believes in the people. He believes in the America First movement. He is doing this and putting himself out there for us. And the least that we can do is go ahead and try and ensure that we're there for him when the polls come out and whenever we get ready to start voting, we need to get behind and unify behind President Trump. He ain't doing this for himself. I, listen, I see all those events he's got going on. He's got the Live Golf Tournament. They've got, you know, gala season in the fall. they got all these awesome parties with all these awesome groups. Tom Holman and Carrie Lake did a, uh, a huge event down at Mar-a-Lago recently, and it's like he could just sit there and, and, and sip the Diet Cokes and, like you said, play a couple rounds of golf and hang out with his grandkids and call it a day. He knows that we are running out of chances with this country surviving. Yes, he does. And, and, and in 2024, we have to make uh, that that big leap and get him back into the, the White House. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Anytime you could jump on the show with us, we'll always have you on. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can we follow you? Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me back on. At Corey, C-O-R-Y, Mills, F-L.
We'll live link that in the show description today. And as always, Congressman, we're going to be looking forward to having you back very soon. This is the Congressman representing Florida's 7th District. He's America first. He's always welcome on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Corey Mills, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Brad. All right. Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, as advertised. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Guys, just remember, before we get anything started, you need to be subscribed to the show, and you need to be joining us over at the National Pulse. The NationalPulse.com is where you're going to be able to sign up for Pulse Plus. You're going to get bonus content there, which is like additional commentary on editorials that are released on the website. You're going to get bonus podcasts from not only us, our new Sunday show, Red Meat. You're going to get bonus land from Fleckus Talks podcast. And pretty soon we've got an app coming down the pike. So the nationalpulse.com is where you want to find everything related to steak for breakfast and all the great stuff we've got going on over there, which consequently is the exact opposite of what was going on up on Capitol Hill this week. Uh, We saw that Kevin McCarthy was able to backroom deal with House Democrats, maybe even Democrats in the Senate, definitely with Joe Biden, to raise the debt ceiling, which is kind of worrisome based off the amount of debt that we're going to see added to our national debt over the course of the next 10 years, which is going to exceed $4 trillion. We're also not going to see a lot of the cuts that we were promised along the way. The 87,000 IRS agents, for the most part, are going to be funded. And, and, And a lot of that other bad stuff. Before we get into some of the exact details of what was agreed on, Antoinette, I know you've been checking this out as well, kind of reading up on it and following it on social media. Definitely a big L for Republicans. It seems like now we've got to recircle the wagons as we move closer to the summer and into appropriation seasons where we're going to have the opportunity to trim the fat off of 12 bills. But when you talk about giving Joe Biden an honest L that the GOP primary presidential candidates would have been able to use as they move forward, in addition to tanking the economy and all the other bad stuff that Joe Biden's you know screwed up over the course of the last two and a half years, I, I still don't see what... Kevin McCarthy's methodology is here uh, in finding reason and getting this thing passed. What do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think it's a total L for Republicans, definitely. And I, I don't know. I mean, I really wish he, they didn't have to, they didn't do this because it's just going to make things so much worse for everyone else. But I'm, like I said before, I'm just at a wait and see because, I mean, what what can we do at this point? Yeah, except commentate on it. It, yeah. it, it was good to see that the uh, overwhelming majority of the congressmen and women who come on stake for breakfast were no votes. I, I think that was big. And, and, and then we saw some other things that were kind of revealed. We saw as soon as this deal got into like the heated part right before the finalization of the actual negotiations, which would take it to the House floor for a vote. You see Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene come out and all of a sudden start not only stumping for this, but her unwavering support of Kevin McCarthy and in, in, in getting this done. And when you talk about all the America first, especially the Trump aligned House Republicans, everybody from Byron Donalds and Matt Gates, uh, you know, down to Mike Collins and, and Wesley Hunt and, you know, all the other people, Corey Mills, who offered an extension as a House resolution to the deadline that Janet Yellen said of June 5th. You really have to say, like. Man, this person has stumped for America first for so long. Kind of got weird in January with the Speaker of the House vote. I'm talking about MTG right now. Yeah. And now it seems like, you know, he can do no wrong in her eyes. Uh, we know this is a big loss for America first. We know this is a big loss for the eventual 
uh, you know, Republican nominee in the presidential race because they would have been able to take this and use it. One of the biggest things that that was shocking to me, in addition to the non-cuts and immense amount of debt that's going to be added to the national debt, was the fact that they've kicked the can down the road to 2025, which means you can't even use like these budgetary measures or all the bad things that are happening in regarding mm-hmm. wasteful government spending in the presidential primary now against Joe Biden because it's a non-issue until after the next election. Yep, no, totally agreed. Yeah, just wild. I, I pulled a clip of Speaker McCarthy. Let's hear him shortly after the bill passed on the House floor. I've been thinking about this day before my vote for Speaker because mm. I knew the debt ceiling was coming. I wanted to make history. I wanted to do something no other Congress has done. That we would literally turn the ship. That for the first time, in quite some time, we'd spend less than we spent the year before. Tonight, we all made history. Because this is the biggest cut and savings this Congress has ever voted for. Wow. Wow is right. For the minuscule things that we're shaving, let's just talk about the 87 IRS agents because that's like one of the big talking points, right? Right. For ever, ever many billions of dollars are appropriated for that. They shaved off enough to get the number of IRS agents that's going to be, you know, implemented into the budget next year down to 81,000. <laughs> so everybody could take a breath and a big sigh of oh. relief knowing that there's going to be 6,000 less IRS agents kicking down their doors and harassing them over $600 PayPal payments. Gosh, I feel so much better about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, besides that, you know, they're, they're cutting some of the welfare programs, which I guess is cool. But when you look at the, you know, current state of the economy, the value of the dollar reflected against the job market, does it matter? It's either, it's either you're completely living off the government and are going to get less free peanut butter and cheese, or you're working three jobs and, 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 the third job essentially is all the taxes you pay back for just to be able to keep the lights on at your house and your kids eating top ramen right now. Mm-hmm. So pretty alarming. And, uh, you know, when you start to look into what really happened in this deal and, and what some of the biggest takeaways are, um, even as poll numbers are coming out today, you know, I saw one from Rasmussen this morning, Kevin McCarthy is nearing an all time high favorability rating Uh, For a Republican House Speaker, he's hovering around 50%. Hmm. And to this point, he hadn't done an awful job. But at the same time, like the weird relationship between him and MTG. So everybody was talking about, you know, there was the big dropping of the ball with the January 6th tape. You know, we talked about a lot on this show, Antoinette. So after Tucker Carlson went down, you know, Kevin McCarthy said, all right, we're going to figure it out. We're going to rework it. I'm going to get it to like John Solomon, who's awesome, guest contributor on the show here. And somebody else, and they're going to go through it, and they're going to start to release it. Now MTG's on our own podcast saying, like, you know, these January 6th tapes are going to come out, and all I see is more people that are going to be doxing people in them to be persecuted by the Department of Justice. What? And it's like, I, I don't get what her... Listen, anyone... Like, why? Yeah. Like we, If we have those tapes and see those tapes, then it's going to show... I mean, in my opinion, it's going to show it's not going to be good for the other side. No, it's, it certainly isn't. And, uh, you know, it's like people that had her in the conversation 
of running as a vice presidential candidate alongside Donald Trump, you guys need to get your head examined. Yeah. Like, I understand you like these people. Everybody loves Carrie Lake. But experience-wise, you know, she doesn't have a lot of political experience. She's worked around it. She ran Mm -hmm. a great race in Arizona. She came up short. I'm 99.9% sure, based off of what I heard, that she is going to make a run for the Arizona Senate. Uh, which mm-hmm. would put her in Washington, D.C. as Senator Lake, which I think would be awesome. I think it would be amazing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we, we start to romanticize these characters and not take into consideration the resume. And, and what do they add? Someone as MAGA, or apparently as MAGA, as MTG was, and someone who's MAGA as Carrie Lake is, doesn't really add a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion to a presidential ticket. No, I agree. You I need agree. A, a yin to Donald Trump's yang. You need an other side of the coin. You need something that identifies. And remember, we already told you, don't believe the hype and the bullshit. Suburban mom, independent voters, Democrat walkaways, they really don't matter. Um, you know, we're going to jump in with uh, Congressman Devin Nunes here in just a bit. And uh, I got a feeling he's going to break down a little bit of that equation that we often talk about on the show, the only pathway to the White House for a Republican candidate. And it doesn't involve a lot of those people outside of certain areas of the country. But when you look at the total funding, right, China, they're getting $490 million from the United States government in, in, in as part of the debt ceiling. Wow. Russia, $871 million. A combined total of one point three. $62 billion. It's ridiculous. What what else did we fund? $98,000 for gender equality exhibits throughout Washington, D.C. $1.6 million from national school lunch programs to Chinese companies. So now your kids' school lunches are going to be made in China. Jesus. And almost a million dollars for Russian, Russian lab experiments. Ready for huh? this one? And it's with cats on treadmills. <laughs> Stop it. Are you serious right now? In addition, I don't have the dollar amount, but the Wuhan lab was also funded through this raising of the debt ceiling. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Working. I mean, but does it really surprise you at this point? Like, if... No, no, but it does open up. Uh, kind of a can of worms in regards to something that we talked about. It was one of the stipulations uh, that is how one House member can basically trigger the process to vacate the speakership, right? Yeah. If, if they didn't like the job that Kevin McCarthy was doing, if he had went back on his word uh, in regards to things that they agreed on concession-wise. I saw that uh, Matt Gates he jumped on yesterday with Greg Kelly. They were talking about this because it's come up again. There's been a couple articles out about it. Let's hear it. Will the, what will the Freedom Caucus do if the, the, the people who are objecting to this bill get overridden, if the Republicans get overridden by a, uh, a Republican speaker teaming up with Democrats to pass this bill? 
Uh, again, I think the operative question there is whether or not the Speaker can get to a majority of the majority. If, if a majority of Republicans are against a piece of legislation and you use Democrats to pass it, that would immediately be a black letter violation of the deal we had with McCarthy to allow his assent to the Speakership, and it would likely trigger an immediate motion to vacate. Mm -hmm. I think Speaker McCarthy knows that. That's why he's working hard to make sure that he gets you know, 120, 150, 160 votes. And that's why those of us who are not supportive of the bill are trying to point out that many of the changes are cosmetic in nature. And Joe Biden's administration is going to be able to waive uh, certain requirements and certain conditions that sound like great talking points, but that don't save the country from the ruin that the Biden administration is bringing us to. Which means Joe Biden can write checks for, essentially from his desk like he does for Ukraine. Basically. And, uh, you know, it did pass the House. Uh, over 70 House Republicans, a majority of the House Freedom Caucus, and then some, you know, that come every once in a while. Nancy Mace jumped on board for a no, and there were a couple other kind of shockers that I was like, hmm, okay, well, but they get it. Because when you, when you have something this big and, and the negative effect it could have on your district back home, we're heading into an election year. If you're showing your constituents that you really just don't care and you're going with the flow, you're going to be out of there. You're going to get primaried. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's like Matt Gates alluded to. More Democrats voted for this in the House with yes votes than Republicans did because of how many, you know, were basically showing him, listen, we're not behind this. This doesn't do what we say we were going to do. The money that you're saying that you're going to save the American people, number one, it's a fabricated number, and it's not one that you could pinpoint. It's not exact because it's fluid. And number two, you're banking on the appropriations process that's coming down the road next, the 12 bills that are going to, you know, fund the federal government for next year. It's not like, I mean, we're going to have to try and chip away at some of these things, but it's not like you're going to get massive cuts to the FBI and DOJ like we could have done by going back to pre-COVID spending. The money just wouldn't be there. Now we have the opportunity to spend trillions of dollars like we did during the pandemic when everything was shut down and we were saying it was the worst thing in the history of anything. The bill went on to the Senate, and, uh, you know, you got a couple of America lasters there. Uh, even though he's in the good graces of President Trump, I know somebody that was having some major concerns with this bill. You want to talk about appropriations and things that are like, uh, that are earmarked. Not enough money for Ukraine, who I know you've heard, Antoinette, over the course of the last week or so, they're getting their F-16s. They're getting trained in Poland right now to fly them. Yep. Joe Biden's also found a whole bunch of extra money to send them some weapons, including the long-range missile systems that could be used to support F-16 fighter jets. So it's getting pretty wild over there. We've seen ammunition dumps in Ukraine getting blown up. We've seen Kiev getting hit harder than it has ever before. There's been reports that some of the Patriot missile batteries uh, have already been destroyed. And you want to know, it's not directly tied to this, but believe it or not, there's a video that's going around. It's kind of viral on social media right now of the Mexican cartels doing their little hype videos like they always do with all their military gear on. Yeah, yeah. They're holding the fucking javelin tank busters that we sent over to uh, Ukraine. Yeah. No. So, so, so the rumors of of Ukraine getting some of these you know weapons out of country and into the hands of places like Pakistan and stuff like that. There's cartel members with with javelin missile systems now, and they're taking like their hype videos with it. But sticking in the threat of Ukraine, you know, 
Mr. Garrison himself, Lindsey Graham, was going to go on the floor and complain about it. So let's hear him make the uh, case for not passing this bill in the Senate. 25, we're going to cap spending at a level that we cannot expand the Navy. And in the same period of time, China's going to go from 310 ships over a 10-year period to 440. Less money for the Marines, less money for the Army, less ships for the Navy at a time of great conflict. Not a penny in this bill to help Ukraine defeat Putin. They're going on the offensive as I speak. And we need to send a clear message to Putin that when it comes to your invasion of Ukraine, we're going to support the Ukrainians to ensure your loss. If we don't do that, then we're going to snatch what? defeat out of the jaws of victory. Senator Cotton is... Yeah, whatever. I got a clear message to send to you, Lindsay. Fuck you. I hate you. It's the truth. How selfish is that? I mean, why didn't he highlight that China was going to be expanding its navy so big because they were going to go into a joint effort with a whole bunch of other countries to kind mm-hmm. of have, like, their own fleet that are going to be, you know, patrolling out there now and, and, and expanding in size that's a lot more comparable to our navy than it was just with what they have in China now. It's frustrating. It, it really was, you know. I'm pretty sure that Congressman Nunes, who's coming in at the end of this segment, is going to be pretty fired up about it. He's fired up about anything anyways. He's always fired when he comes on the show. But we're also going to be talking to Congressman Wesley Hunt, who was a no vote and was stumping across any outlet that would put him on, on why this was bad for the American people uh, following our second news segment. We do have to shift a little bit of America first. Lindsey Graham made the case for the military-industrial complex and the swamp, but I saw that J.D. Vance was talking about this as well, and his concerns are just a little bit more coordinated with what we've got going on here. Let's hear him. For America, and I, I think we need to be clear about this. If you look, Eric, at the headline spending cuts, that would be a good number, and I'd be happy with it, but you've got to read the fine print of this legislation. It's one of the good things about being in the Senate is we've had a little bit more time to actually look at this. All of the spending cuts or nearly all of the spending cuts can be waived by the Office of Management and Budget, which is, of course, controlled by the Biden administration. Yep. And, and in some ways, the more worrying thing here, Eric, is, is if you really look at how this is going to play out, it is going to provide massive incentives for the Democrats to try to cut defense spending and increase domestic spending. So we're not going to get the spending cuts. What we're going to get is a reduced military in the face of a rising threat yeah. from communist China. It's a bad deal all around for the That's American people. And it was weird to see, you know, some some senators who jumped on board. Uh, Katie Britt, who usually votes. Actually, she's been pretty good. A lot of people thought she was going to vote with Mitch McConnell a lot more. She was a no. But even people like John Fetterman, who saw some of the cuts came from, like, not only welfare programs, but ones that were tied to, like, mental health mm-hmm. and VA benefits, that made him a hard no. So he actually came over to the uh, delegation of Republicans. I believe it was, like, 38 total. Um, it just wasn't enough. So they still had the majority. The bill still passed. And a lot of people were pissed off, including all of us here on America First. I mean, you've taken a huge piece of ammunition that let's say Donald Trump a year from now would be using against Joe Biden. Look what you did to the economy. Not only did Democrats force Republicans into wasteful spending at the start of the pandemic, when you guys won back the House and Senate, 
you guys went even 10 times more worse than it was when Republicans were funding this bullshit. And all we want to do in an attempt to kind of bring the total deficit of the country down is go back to pre-COVID spending because we're in pre-COVID times now as far as the world being opened up. And you just go and kick it down the road until 2025. So to me, it's it, it's... I don't see where it's a good deal. I don't think we're going to be able to get the victories we need to in appropriation season, but we'll have to see. Maybe the Republicans have, you know, yeah. That Well, that's my hope. And, and we'll be able to talk with all of our Congress people who come through here between now and then. Um, so, you know, we're going to be able to get more information and paint a clearer picture for you guys and just what's going on kind of in real time, which is, you know, it's Friday afternoon out here on the West Coast and, Everyone who had a long week in Capitol Hill is is hitting the road and going back to their districts after being, you know, called back short of uh, the holiday weekend with Memorial Day last weekend. So I just want to remind everybody before we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with, you know, True Social CEO Devin Nunes, wherever you're listening to the show today, hopefully you're enjoying it. And if it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, or iHeart, subscribe to the show. Please rate it and leave a review. Helps us out in the rankings, in the algorithms. And all the things we need to do to continue to be bringing you the news on a tri-weekly basis now in, in the way that you guys love it. In addition to that, follow us across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow the account, hit the notification bell. Anytime we're cranking out any of our great stuff here, it'll be delivered directly to you. And then, of course, our new home uh, at the National Pulse, thenationalpulse.com is where you're going to find all the great stuff coming out on our show as well. In addition to that, if you sign up for Pulse Plus, you're getting bonus content, the Red Meat Podcast, every Sunday, one-on-one guests with the team, and uh, something that I think you'll be enjoying this week, a little bit teaser. Everybody knows what's going on with Gavin Wax and the Babylon Bee. It's kind of turned into a Babylon beef as our newest family member at the National Pulse. We sat down for a heater of a one-on-one uh, that you guys are going to surely enjoy on Sunday. A lot less than Kevin McCarthy might be enjoying as he's heading into the weekend now as well, Dan Bishop has had it. The Republican House representative was going from the steps of Capitol Hill to across the cable news networks following this passing in the Senate yesterday and telling everybody that we agreed to some things when Kevin McCarthy obtained the gavel and he has failed to met that, so there's going to be consequences. I don't know if we'll get there. It could be going down the same road as all these proposed impeachments. I mean, Alejandro Mayorkas still has a job. Pete Buttigieg still has a job. We're in this situation because of Janet Yellen. She still has a job. We still have jobs, right, Antoinette? Yes, we do. But Dan Bishop is hypothesizing that Kevin McCarthy might not be holding the gavel for too long. Let's hear it. Confidence do you have in the speaker right now? None. Zero. What basis is there for confidence? You cannot forfeit the tool of Republican unity. It was not necessary to do. Is the speaker lying about the way he's characterizing this bill? Yes, he's lying. But the bill is chock full of things that are that are cosmetic and artificial that have the same exact effect. Will motion to vacate come? We don't know. Has Dan Bishop proposed it? Uh, on a couple outlets already, absolutely. Matt Gates has as well. There's been a couple House Republicans that have contributed to a Wall Street Journal article and a Politico article right now that said, like, hey, listen, we made a deal. It's black and white. It only takes one. So who, who's to stop them? I mean, I'm pretty sure, every you know, 
Comer and Jordan and a lot of the seniors in the house right now are running around trying to put out fires. But you you can only – listen, some of these guys who came in that are freshmen or or sophomores in the house, Byron Donalds, Wesley Hunt, Corey Mills, Mike Collins, dude, they know that their time there is finite if they don't get the job done, especially with a Democrat Senate and a Democrat president. People will yep. look for the next best option. They're going to stick up for them if if they can't make any headway against feckless Joe Biden, <laughs> who ate shit at the Air Force graduation yesterday, and then oh walked God. off of Marine One this morning, rang his bell on the friggin' archway of the helicopter, and almost fell down the stairs again today. I have to see that video. I, I mean, Antoinette, you're telling me that this guy negotiated oh. circles around Kevin McCarthy in their closed door meeting? Absolutely not. He was probably taking a nap. <laughs> <sighs> oh my word. Where this goes from here, who knows? It already seems like as I've been having my fingers on the pulse of the news cycle for the last 24 hours since this piece of shit has passed and is on its way to Joe Biden's desk for signature is that everybody's getting ready to jump back into investigations, which were is exactly what we're going to be talking about in our next segment. But before we do that, we're getting ready to sit down with Congressman Devin Nunes. And we're going to hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You get a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us from the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the former chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He's also the CEO of True Social, one of our great friends. Really excited to have back Mr. Devin Nunes. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Always a pleasure to be with you. Oh, Congressman, we are in the midst of a out-of-control news cycle. It seems like every time we get you on the show, we'd like to just kind of shoot the shit, maybe talk about how awesome True Social's doing, all the battles you're doing, uh, fighting the corporate media. But, you know, all your uh, old friends <laughs> over at the FBI are, are still just raising hell over there and, uh, you know, causing a lot of problems, obstruction and election interference, you name it. They've got their hands on it. Still all roads lead back to Russiagate. We know that we like to highlight it when we have people like you and Amanda and cash on the show. But, uh, you know, you see the battle that's going on right now with Christopher Ray and, and the House Oversight Committee now. Uh, not much different than when you were there, except that, you know, there's some actual receipts that the FBI needs to be producing. And imagine that they just aren't. What are you seeing from your vantage point right now as you can see kind of the whole playing field from where you're at? Well, it's deja vu. It's like being back in 2017 during the height of the Russia hoax when we were running that investigation. And I really see no difference uh, from that time. And it's it's almost like they don't care. DOJ and FBI don't care. They're running exactly the same play call, which is uh, rope-a-dope. They, you know, they don't allow you to, they, they claim there's no document at first. And then you go back and forth for what seems like, gosh, I don't know, what, what's it been, about a month? Yeah. Uh, and then they finally say, okay, you know, when, when we're going to hold you in contempt on this date, uh, 
then at the 11th hour they say oh we got something but you'll have to come into the doj and look at it oh and it's only going to be a couple of you that can look at it because we normally don't do this blah 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 and i I just hope that uh, senator grassley and uh, chairman comer don't fall for that because that's uh just uh, these guys they just can't be allowed to to just you know stonewall the congress anymore because congress is all we have left to try to get to the truth and the congress can i know people are frustrated but you know the congress only can expose and shine sunlight they can't arrest people right and so that's that's really what they you know it's just like i said it's the same it's deja vu same play call over over and over again yeah i'm sure a lot of our listenership remembers what the disposition happens or or lack thereof with eric holder he was found in contempt this that and the other thing and just kind of you know the good thing about uh well it's a bad thing for the american public and Republicans in the House and Senate, obviously presidents when it's on the Republican side as well. But Democrats in the administrative state have turned running out the clock almost into like just part of, you know, day one, learn the game plan, how to be a swamp monster 101. And it just seems like they're waiting for the next big thing to come up and take everybody's attention off this. You know, you had all this FBI stuff with James Comer and and Christopher Ray going on, and and obviously Senator Chuck Grassley as well, who said the jig is up this week because I guess he's been, uh, you know, partaking in seeing some of these documents and leading the investigation on the senatorial side as well. But it seems like they've just become, it's like a master class of running out the clock. Oh, we'll have a different, we'll have an election. We'll win back the house. These investigations will go away. Everybody keeps their jobs. Everybody keeps their retirements. No one's held accountable. And uh, how do you think we combat that right now? Do we really, I mean, like you said, we don't have the power to arrest people, but we could do a lot of other things. Do we get into now with the appropriations bills coming down the pike, just start defunding these agencies if they're not going to cooperate with the House uh, Oversight Committee? Well, if you remember back when the whole race for speaker was going on, yeah, and I think I came on your show and I said, "Look, uh, this is this is not helpful." Um, the race for speaker, you know, was already over. Um, there's only you know what they had a four seat majority, and they needed to get the show on the road, and they lost a considerable amount of time there at the beginning. Well, all through that, because right after the election, um, even though McCarthy had the votes. And they, instead of focusing on what investigations are you going to run, who are you going to subpoena, and they had really important time period that got away from them because everybody was infighting through after the election, through December, uh, and then into January. So they lost you know a critical couple months of planning, and that's why you're seeing everything kind of play out in slow motion. And so. The short answer is, can they do some defunding and that sort of thing? They can do it in the House. It's likely not. I don't think there's going to be a real appropriations bill passed. So they can defund in legislation, but that legislation won't be signed into law. So really, all they can do is run thorough investigations with subpoenas, depositions, interviews, find documents, go after every single criminal that's taken part in multiple conspiracies across our government that, as you know, in my opinion, the corruption is at the DOJ and their collusion with the Democratic Party in this country. Yep. And that's that's what they have to focus on now. Now, I heard you say something about appropriations. Do you consider the passing of the uh, debt ceiling 
that happened yesterday, or, or I'm sorry, on Wednesday night in a late night vote. Um, do you consider that a win, loss, or push for House Republicans? It's it's a push. It's just a push. I mean, I don't think any re- you know my colleagues that I've spoke to, they're not. Um, none of them are excited about this because no one wants to extend the check writing, you know, for another four trillion dollars. But the grim reality of it is that Biden's the president. The Democrats sadly control the Senate. And so you are not going to get everything you want. And then remember, there is no uh, there is no magic wand out there other than to, to balance this budget other than growing the economy. And that is that's the sad part about what what happened during the Trump administration. Um, you know, we were booming. We passed those the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It really allowed money to start to flow through the economy and churn. Um, as you as you may recall, I mean, sure. there, there were so many jobs, there wasn't enough people to fill the jobs. But then the Biden administration takes over. And what do they do? Boom, they immediately go after the energy sector with all their green nonsense. At the same time, they stop drilling for oil. So then all of a sudden, the price skyrockets, we're then having to import. And you know, that's kind of a double whammy, because not only are you costing the job costing jobs, good jobs, high paying jobs, with low cost energy here in the United States, you're also then sending dollars overseas to some people that don't even like us right. or at, at, you know enemies uh, of us. So we should be a net exporter of energy, not a, not an importer of energy. And then, of course, all the regulations, all the hikes, everything that has taken place here uh, over during this the two and a half years of the Biden administration is slowing growth. And remember. We have we are bringing in more into the treasury than we ever have been, and so all you all these guys can do is slow the growth. And remember, most of that growth in spending is everybody focuses on the you know golden toilets and the wasteful spending, and it's true there is a waste. And I think you could cut across all the government agencies with no problem. You could probably cut 10, 20, 30 percent, except. You're not dealing with the overall problem, which is that most of the money are going to entitlement programs. So how do you deal with that? And you know, we tried to tackle health, and healthcare is the big driver of that. Yes, yes, it is. And so, so healthcare is broken, broken this country. Um, there's a lot that has to be fixed, but that gets to the whole socialist, communist, Marxist versus free market, where you know they will. The left is going to die on that hill more money, more money, more money, more control, and they're never going to deal with it. And that's why you've got to get President Trump reelected. You have to win the Senate, and then you have to get serious about healthcare. And you may remember, it was John McCain with that famous thumbs down that was that killed our healthcare bill that was really the first step in the right direction to start to improve healthcare in this country and the delivery mechanism and allow the states to have more authority, the states to build efficiencies, and that didn't happen. So what you have is you have all this money coming from the federal government that, with mandates to it that create this completely ineff- inefficient and totally ineffective healthcare policy, which is the driver of our spending. Yep. Yeah, it certainly is, Congressman. And, uh, 
you know, I do want to stay kind of in that thread, but uh, let's talk about some good stuff right now because there is some good stuff. You mentioned President Trump. He's out on the campaign trail this week. He sat down with Sean Hannity last night for a town hall. Now, when you just look at the polling, uh, favorability ratings, head-to-head with uh, people in the Republican primary and head-to-head with Joe Biden, there was a, 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 a YouGov poll that came out earlier this week that had Donald Trump uh, wrangling 6% of Democrats away from Joe Biden in the general election, and every cross-tabulation they had, that was race, ethnicity, uh, any kind of demographic, you you name it, uh, suburban, urban, he was ahead. And it seems like right now his stock is just shooting up. Uh, I think it's because he's playing it smart. There's a lot of policy-driven stuff coming out on social media. He's doing the FaceTime with the American public, taking questions in town halls, going to these restaurants. That's how the people fell in love with him back in 2015. Yeah. He's running pretty much yeah. the, the same kind of uh, campaign that he did back then. Do you think it's enough right now to get him through this field and back into the White House? Well, I've said this for a while, that President Trump has built the largest political movement in U.S. history. Agreed. Uh, there's nothing like it. We've not seen anything like it. Um, it's really a, a phenomenon where he's brought back working people. The working people of this country are now Republicans, and he's turned people out to vote like we've never been able to do. The closest person that came to it was Ronald Reagan, and he has brought this back. And Reagan was in a, in a w- way different time period where, he, where we didn't have the just outright Marxist, neo-Marxist party that the Democrats have become today. You know, if you go back in the Reagan days, they had the bull weevil Democrats, the blue dogs, all of these guys that were um, supposedly, you know, uh, center Democrats. Those are gone. Um, The last of those, you know, were jettisoned from the party over the last four or five years. And so they really are a neo-Marxist party. And so what this comes down to, it comes down to the big city states. How many votes can they harvest in a Milwaukee, a Madison, to overtake the suburbs and the rural areas of Wisconsin. It's the same thing in Michigan. How many votes can they get out in Detroit to overtake the the rural areas and suburban areas of Michigan? The same as it is for Pennsylvania. How many votes can you get out of out of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh versus the rest of the state? Uh, and the same Arizona as you as you're very familiar with. Sure. How many votes can you get out of out of the Phoenix? area to overcome the rest of the state and the same with georgia Uh, how many votes can you get out of atlanta uh, to overcome the rest of the state and that's what this race comes down to nothing more nothing less i just named the cities and i just named the states sadly it's that close because uh, you know look i'd love to say that that california's in play but let's you know i'd you would not let me on your show anymore if i said crazy things like that yes we would same (laughs) same 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 as you know new york um you know and largely because these uh, you know people are moving conservatives are fleeing from these blue states that are making them bluer and they're going to places like florida now florida i've seen polling coming out of florida where trump is just going to destroy biden or whoever the democrat is in in florida so states that used to be considered in play just no longer are i think the same is true for north carolina i think you know that was kind of purple i think you know that now you're seeing that turned into to, to slightly red back to where it used to be so this is this is what we're dealing with it's a it's a we know the battlefield we know where it's at and you know as far as 
you know, this political movement, it's it's large. You've got the underbelly of the beast, the lobbyists and woke corpse and all of the so-called, you know, right-wing consultants that have been out of the they've been out of the money uh during the Trump years because they they're not on that gravy train of getting these big contracts. So mm-hmm. They're trying to get all of these candidates into the race. Um, and of course, you've got a lot of the never Trump and people that really don't want Trump back. And they're going to spend, you know, God knows how much, uh, you know, they're saying that, you know, there could be $500 million spent against Trump uh, in this Republican primary by candidates who have no chance to win. None Zero. whatsoever. And so they're they're basically betting on the come that the Department of Justice working with the corrupt Democrats will bring indictment after indictment after indictment and then hope that the American people say or the 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 MAGA kind of movement, this this new movement in the Republican Party for the working people, that eventually they say, Oh, that's it, we're gonna go for Nikki Haley because we just don't like Trump. I mean, it's asinine it's ass backwards but that's what they believe so i'm really uh concerned i think the biggest concern i don't know there's always uh, there's so many concerns out there but i'll tell you uh these candidates that are out there running that are not out there saying the raid at mar-a-lago was outrageous it has to stop ray should be gone doj has to be reformed if you're not saying that uh, just get out of the Republican Party. Yes. Uh, bye bye. You know, look, you can be re- it's your right to run for president. I have no problem. But if you don't see this corruption at the highest level, how they're coordinating the Department of Justice, the intelligence agencies, the Democratic propaganda, along with the fake news media, if you don't see how all that's working, like you are clueless, you know, and I- I'm never voting for you, period, for anything. You know, I don't want you to be vice president. I don't want you to be secretary of state or whatever these people are are running for. Um, it's it's just rather pathetic that they're playing into this of what we know is coming, which are going to be just more and more crazy ass DOJ and 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 local uh, district attorneys bringing fraudulent, corrupt conspiracy theory uh, type of of accusations against Trump. Absolutely. And I mean, like you said and alluded to, especially for all those who were uh, riding the coattails of America first and Donald Trump for the last nearly eight years now and decided to walk away and do whatever it is that they want with whatever candidates they want as well. Like, here's the deal. When Donald Trump taps you for a cabinet position or, God forbid, a vice president candidate out of some of those really off-the-wall people who are running right now, I don't, I don't see a Chris Christie Trump ticket uh, in 2024 by all means. But the fact of the matter is saying those things that you were highlighting there about the special counsels, the witch hunts, the hoax investigations, you know, the social media repression in the mainstream media and the print press, uh, just the non-fairity of it and, and the raid at Mar-a-Lago, waiting for that... It, point in the race it's too late it needs to be happening now when you go to town halls that's another thing these news stations are never going to give donald trump a fair shake these reporters should be asking these other candidates like we're not saying donald trump is this that or the other thing we just want to know what you feel on the russiagate hoax now that it's been you know exposed or how the 51 intelligence you know if you're going to run for president and you're serious about this are you going to pull their security clearances on day one for what they did in the 2020 presidential election and then what do you feel about the raid at mar-a-lago it's just the 
constant hypocrisy that we have to push up against all the time, Congressman, that, you know, makes this good, tiring. But, but, but we know we're in the good fight. Yeah, the good news is, is that you're exactly right. That's what should be being asked. It's not. But we're also not being controlled on the on the center right anymore by just and this is no offense to them. I'm not I'm not trashing at all because um, I was obviously a big fan of, of Rush Limbaugh. Absolutely. Uh, but, but six, seven years ago, you had Fox News and you had Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, and then you had regional radio. That's that was it. And. That's what carried the message. So you could run a cookie cutter campaign, get on Fox, run some ads, get on Rush Limbaugh, you know, run some ads on Rush Limbaugh's show and the local radio. And that's how people built up a campaign to win a Republican primary. That doesn't exist anymore, uh, which, you know, because we've got like you, steak, steak for breakfast. You've got podcasts like mine. You've got podcasts like Victor Davis Hanson, who's going to, you know, who was on my show yesterday. He's a great voice. Uh, yeah, so you've got now what used to be just you know maybe ten places that you had to go as a Republican candidate. You now have to go to two hundred at least, if not three hundred uh, different places that you have to go with these shows that are that are that are large. I mean, they get more. I mean, think about it. Even my podcast, um, you know, all outperform you know a lot of the time slots on CNN and a lot of the, the different news stations. You know, I mean, sometimes I'll get. You know, up to 200,000 people that will watch my show on Rumble. That doesn't include the audio listens. And that's just me. And I'm not, you know, and I only do it once a week. And I only do it to promote people who are on True Social. I'm not doing it like like a lot of people are, where they're doing it every single day. So you can imagine, uh, you know, just how the landscape has changed. And sure. I think that's a good thing. And hopefully, um, when these candidates start to make the rounds and, and go on all of these different shows that they're asked, the tough questions that you just mentioned. What are you going to do about a corrupt Justice Department? What are you going to do about the raid at Mar-a-Lago? What are you going to do about the targeting of conservatives? What are you going to do about January 6th? What are you going to do about Durham and all those criminals that, that conspired and got away? Mm. What are you going to do? What's the plan? And so far, it's been less than impressive. Less than impressive. I, I'd like have a lot of, you know, if any of these candidates that are out there running, um, you know, I'd have a lot of respect for them if they said, if they really took this bull by the horns and started talking about the corruption uh, that we really need to deal with to save this country. Yep. It shows like a less of a divided party if they know that regardless of who the nominee is going to be. Obviously, well, it's, it's going to be Trump this cycle, but they know that the same kind of consequences and, uh, you know, repercussions are coming. I, I, don't, I don't know that they do know, honestly. I, I don't think they know. I think they're, they're cookie cutter. I think they read statements. I think they focus group. It's the same Romney, yep. McCain playbook from 12 and 08 that says, oh, we just better say if we say this, we don't want to alienate the LGBTQ suburban mom, whatever, instead of saying like, no, I'm running for president because the FBI is corrupt. The Department of Justice is corrupt. Here's what I would do about it. If you're not saying those things, then, you know, great. It's your right to run, but you're kind of a pathetic political figure. And I, I just kind of see that, uh, you know, I know a lot of these people that are running. They're my, you know, I consider a lot of them my friends, but it's like, who's giving you these talking points? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? 
Like what, what, the, where the hell have you been? Um, you know, I, you know, I left Congress to go out and open up the communications, reopen the internet so that people can have a voice to fight big tech. And yet you have still most of the Republicans who are, you know, running over to Zuckerberg and Facebook. Oh, please, will you promote my post? And, oh, can I go on Twitter to Twitter spaces? I really need Elon Musk's support. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of pathetic that you don't even, you want to lead this nation in a time that we're in today and you don't even understand the basic uh, battlefield. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rather kind of sad and pathetic. It certainly is saying you're going to beat the leftists and defeat wokeism. It's not really much of a campaign platform. There isn't a candidate in this race and anyone else that's going to get in uh, congressman that could walk across the DMZ into North Korea and call Kim Jong-un thin to his face. They're, they're just, yeah, there's, I, there's, I, I just, I there. just hope that let's just hope here in the next uh, few months that as this campaign progresses, that these guys start talking about the, the issues absolutely, and, uh, and stop complaining about, uh, mean tweets <laughs> which is by the way a total cliche since donald trump hasn't been on twitter for two and a half years true story congressman you know we do a members only section at the national pulse now uh we have an episode called red meat we're going to invite you back again next time you're with us because we could talk forever we're going to see if we could block off a little bit more time and just kind of lay out some more of this stuff because our listenership loves it when you come on the show and we love to host you uh we're going to obviously live link true social and all the great stuff you've got going on there in the show description today we'll throw up the link to your podcast as well so anyone who's not following on rumble or on apple can subscribe and check you out but uh what's your handle on true social it's a confusing one and I, I want to be able to uh, lay it out there for our audience so they don't get any confusion. It's 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 really difficult. Devin Nunes, hmm. D-E-V-I-N-N-U-N-E-S. Got it. Nunes with an S. I like it. And we love when you're on the show. This is the CEO of True Social, former congressman from California and chair of the House Oversight Committee, Mr. Devin Nunes. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Uh, always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, there have been many developments in the House investigations into the First Family's international business dealings recently. Uh, there's one committee trying to get an FBI file alleging that President Biden took bribes. There's another IRS whistleblower who's alleging there's a cover-up in the investigation. Amid all of this, there was a Harvard-Harris poll this month that found that 53% of the public, including a fourth of Democrats, believe, quote, Joe Biden was involved with his son in an, in an illegal influence peddling scheme. Uh, there's, of course, evidence that the president interacted with his relatives, associates from China, uh, Mexico, Kazakhstan, Russia, and Ukraine. Uh, so what do you say to the majority of Americans who believe that the president is himself corrupt? President, the president, the president has spoken to this. Uh, the president has spoken to this, uh, and there's nothing to these claims. And as for the the, the, the whistleblower issue that you talked about, and uh, um, and the, the, the document, I, I, I believe the FBI has spoken to that. And you're going to have to go to them on that. All right. All right. Nice non-answer as usual from. Uh, Admiral Kirby there in the White House press pool called out of the bullpen to save KJP again. We haven't heard from her in a while because yeah. she's just been absolutely off the rails. It's like they ask a question. She, re, you know, the classic Biden administration, uh, reject, deflect, project, and then spits it right back at them. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. the border isn't bad. Well, the numbers are down and uh, it's Border Patrol's fault because the Senate won't vote to fix the immigration system like 
what the fuck does that even mean? I know. He kind of says, I mean, he literally answers that report. You heard him, right? He's, he's like, wow. And then everybody in the press pool is like laughing and agreeing with him. And then some idiot in the front row is like, I'll take the question if you don't want to ask it. And I'm just <laughs> like, this is where we're at. Like we asked him about legitimate stuff that's going on. And the context of that is that James Comer and the House Oversight Committee have requested, subpoenaed, and threatened contempt of Congress, FBI Director Chris Ray, to turn over these documents that the House Oversight Committee chair alleges connects Joe Biden to a bribery scheme when he was Vice President of the United States and Hunter Biden's connected to it. Christopher Ray, up until today, has refused. They had a phone call with Christopher Ray. James Comer and Senator Chuck Grassley, who's leading the oversight investigation into this on the Republican Senate side, where Christopher Ray said he might be able to bring the documents over and they can look at them or they can go over to there and get into a skiff and look at them. But what they want is at the end of the investigation is to make these documents public record. And that's where Christopher Ray is just trying to play the long game right now, using like his best Eric Holder card to where Hold me in contempt. I don't care. I'll never see the inside of a jail cell. Joe Biden wins re-election. He can pardon me anyway. He can pardon me now, and nothing's going to happen, and I don't have to give you guys anything. Like That's literally where our federal law enforcement and Justice Department is kind of at right now in regards to respecting and working with and trying to be transparent with Congress and the American people. So transparent. Very transparent. Much transparency. Asshole. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how Christopher Ray still has a job either. We, we always talk about these people that shouldn't have jobs. And like literally the only one I wish would stay in place right now until the next election is Joe Biden because the yeah. alternatives are terrible. 100%. But uh, I haven't even seen or heard of Kamala Harris over the course. I saw her walking with Joe Biden on Memorial Day to not hang a wreath because he's physically incapable of it. Did you see him? Like no. awful gate walking. You were supposed to, like, put your hand over your heart. He saluted. His mouth was open the entire time. Wow. And, and it was just, like, such an embarrassment to have to watch him. And, uh, yeah, he did, he did a best – he tried to do his best on Memorial Day to one-up how bad Kevin McCarthy was during the <laughs> week. But speaking of which, I did see Kevin McCarthy did jump on with Fox News. Now that the debt ceiling is behind him, he doesn't have to answer questions everywhere he goes about it. They're asking him as speaker – what is his opinion on what's going on with Christopher Ray right now, and how does he plan on backing up the Oversight Committee into their investigation? Let's hear him. Comer subpoenaed the document that he's requested. We have jurisdiction over the FBI, which they seem to act like we do not. I personally called uh, Director Ray and told him he needs to send that document. Today is the deadline. So let me not just tell you. Let me tell Director Christopher Ray right here, right now. If he misses the deadline today, I am prepared to move contempt charges in Congress against him. We have jurisdiction over this. He can send us that document. We have the right to look at that, Republicans and Democrats alike in that committee. And if he does not follow through with the law, we will move contempt charges against Christopher Ray and the you FBI. Know what he says, they are Mr. not Speaker? above the law. Now, it's funny, you see that Kevin McCarthy, the laser eyes Kevin McCarthy come back out because right now what he wants to do is he did all of his speaking pieces and said, at the end of the day, this is better for the American people. We're talking about raising the debt ceiling. It's not. Yeah. And now he has to be like tough guy Kevin McCarthy. Like, I'm not fucking around if we're going to hold Christopher Ray in contempt. And this was a day and a half ago. So I didn't see anything 
concrete today. Still, I'm thinking it might probably get pushed to next week. But will Christopher Ray be held in contempt? And, and which way will it go? The Eric Holder, no consequences, no testimony, not getting anything done. Or will Christopher Ray eventually release these records, which could be extremely incriminating against Joe Biden and the rest of his family, which is what we all want to see. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean well, I'm, let's just say I'm not really optimistic about it yet. Why wouldn't you be optimistic at this point? Everything's been going great so far. <laughs> well, I mean, I, w- I would be so surprised if they actually went through with it. None of them are going to see the inside of a jail cell. God, you know. More of them should have already, yes, they should have incurred more severe consequences than people like Richard Nixon or to this point Donald Trump have had to incur. And they just walk around, Scott. Like when House Republicans, Antoinette, were coming out of that vote when it passed and got sent up to the Senate and you see all of the dirtbags, the radical, liberal, progressive side just smiling because more of them voted for that bill to pass than Republicans. Because even though America first was united, it broke the unitedness in the house that we had to pass the bill in the first place, which the Senate said we weren't going to do. Schumer said, no fucking way. We'll pass the bill. Schumer never passed a bill. And which Joe Biden for over a hundred days said, I don't need to worry about negotiating because they're not passing a bill. Then next thing you know, the bill's on his desk and he's like, Oh shit. But guess what? Joe Biden still gets the win. We're kind of looking at the same situation right now. What's going on with the, you know, House oversight investigation into the Biden crime family. On the Senate side, I'd mentioned Chuck Grassley. You know, based off of all the audio we've played of his back and forth with Christopher Ray, they only rival probably Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. Even in his advanced age, he's still sharp as a tack when it comes to like dunking on these guys. Remember, Christopher Ray took off in jet set to go fucking canoe yeah. somewhere, and he's like, Why'd you tell us you had to do a thing when your thing was going on vacation and just right. made him look like a complete asshole? That's the last time we've seen. Uh, Christopher Ray before any kind of committee, but I did see Senator Grassley jumped on with Bill Hemmer yesterday and wanted to talk about this, elaborate a little bit more. So let's check it out. Uh, and you're trying to get a look at this document. Uh, from what I understand, he says you're okay to come to the bureau and look at it. Uh, is well, that the case, and is that good enough for you? Well, it's not good enough for me. We asked for the document a month ago. It's been subpoenaed. He ought to respond to a subpoena. We're doing the constitutional job of oversight. I have read that document. If he would read it, and it's a non-classified document, he admits it exists. And we aren't interested in uh, whether or not the accusations against Vice President Biden are accurate or not. We're in, responsible for making sure the FBI does its job, and uh, that's what we want to know. Okay, Senator, let and, me stop uh, you there. You, you just said you read the document, is that right? Yes. Then what did it say? Well, I'm not going to characterize it. We're going to make it public when, when they get it delivered to us. But if he would read it, he would know that all the excuses that he's giving us, uh, that he wants to protect uh, uh, sources, and that's important to protect sources, but that's not an issue with this document the way I read it, and he ought to uh, come forth. Uh, they, they've got to produce this document. You know, they're up against what the Durham report has said about the shortcomings and the political bias 
bias of the FBI. And this is just one more example of them not being forthcoming to the public because the public's business ought to be public. And uh, there's no reason for a non-classified document to be held in secret. Senator, how damning is this document to the sitting U.S. president? Well, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know that, and but that's you, what we need to... But you've read it. I read it. Uh, let's put it this way. There's accusations in it, but uh, that's, uh, it's not for me to make a judgment about whether these accusations are accurate or not. It's up to my job to make sure the FBI is doing their job, and uh, th that's what this is all about as far as I'm concerned. Uh, hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting back and forth. There's a lot of tells there. Yeah. Very. One of the big things, and again, you talk about Christopher Ray. you talk about a lot of the players involved, everything goes back to Russiagate. You start hearing that acronym that we heard a lot during January 6th as well, and the investigations that came outside of that. Confidential human sources. We don't want to burn them because they're good for the agency. They're good for American security. That is one of the new excuses that the federal government, federal law enforcement, and the Justice Department have set up as a stopgap to prevent any kind of oversight into legitimate investigations. Oh, we can't burn our confidence. Oh, they're families. Oh, they've worked for... We couldn't identify a lot of the middlemen in between the Clinton campaign, the DNC, Christopher Steele, Schrock and Page, all throughout the course of the Russian investigation, Crossfire Hurricane, Spygate, whatever you want to call it, because of the confidential human sources that were the middle people. Mm -hmm. Which includes some of the whistleblowers on the bad guys team who always get protected. Not like the three that we heard just a week ago when, when the Democrats said, these guys aren't even really whistleblowers. They're alleging that they're being like politically persecuted and they decided to go and tell on their bosses because of it. That's not the case, but that's how they try to delegitimize it. Yep. Senator Grassley alluded that Christopher Ray is protecting confidential human sources uh, linked to the Biden crime family who may or may not have given statements that have led them down the road of this investigation. In turn, what it does was connect the Biden crime family to their either illegal activities, influence peddling operations, or whatever you want to call it, right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of just, you know, administrative state comes up the gears, trying to run out the clock. We're almost into the, we're heading into the summer, running into the fall. Next thing you know, we'll be a year away from the election. Once we get into the election year, everything's going to be so busy up on Capitol Hill, not only with all the House reps out there running for re-election, you got the people in the Senate who are running for re-election, and you got a president on the ticket this year. All it does is take all of the everything away from all this legitimate stuff that's going on, how the debt ceiling got passed, why aren't the investigations going anywhere, and, and next thing you know, everybody's more worried about Joe Biden versus Donald Trump round two. So... <laughs> Do we even think that's going to be a possibility, to be fair? I, I, I don't know. Well, I tell you what, if Joe Biden keeps eating <laughs> shit and smashing his head, he might not physically make it. That's what I mean. Is he even going to be able to make it that far? Well, I know Hillary Clinton's always as as our country? watching, waiting for the right moment <laughs> to seize the opportunity and jump in here. Florida Congressman Byron Donalds, tail the tape, 6'2", 275, African-American, ain't scared of shit. Jumped on with Maria yesterday to talk about some of the issues that they're having with federal agencies regarding this investigation. Let's hear him. And, and to push back on the FBI by holding back spending. What happens now there? 
Oh, I, I totally think so. Not just on this issue, but the fact that we know that the FBI interfered in not one but two presidential elections in 2016 and in 2020. Um, so I think there's definite issues at the FBI that we got to fix. Appropriations is the, way, is, is the way of my view. Now, to Director Ray, this document that Congress first requested and now has subpoenaed and he's still saying no, I find to be completely outrageous. We don't report to the executive branch and to the federal agencies. Congress has powers of the purse. We do have duties to actually have oversight of the federal agencies and what's happening in the Biden administration, and it's not just FBI by the way, it's happening all over this administration where they are withholding information, they do not respond to congressional inquiries. This is a real violation of separation of powers and it is a constitutional crisis yeah I don't use those words lightly if there's a mm. document that Congress is requesting the agencies have a responsibility to deliver it yeah. and so if we're gonna hold Chris Ray in contempt I fully support that yeah I know but does that do anything does this have any bite I mean Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress nothing happened to him there you go Maria at the end of the day, it's about the dollars here, Maria. Okay. So I think in the appropriations process, we have to be very serious with the FBI and these other agencies that have been withholding information. And again, just to remind you, I'm sure Antoinette picked that up as well. We've heard it several times throughout now our first two news segments. They talk about power of the purse. One of the things that happened when the debt ceiling got passed and once Joe Biden signs it is that he also takes over like the executive office checkbook. So, sure, we can go and defund the FBI in, in the House and pass it because we have a majority, send it up to the Senate, and, you know, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and, you know, Ron John could whip enough people to say, yeah, you know what, even though I'm a Democrat, kind of a moderate, I'm a Joe Manchin, who, again, I, I hate going back to the debt ceiling bill. One of the things that got approved in that, as he's failing in the polls in his reelection bid because he played both sides of the fence, siding with Trump during Trump, siding with Biden during Biden. Joe Biden got a pipeline in Virginia. Sweetheart deal from the White House as part of our unleashing American energy, which really isn't. It'll be wrapped up in red tape long after he's booted out of Senate by Jim Justice. And you want to know what's funny? In West Virginia, Joe Manchin's losing in all the polls to Jim Justice, who's running as a Republican, right? Mm -hmm. The Biden Department of Justice opened up an investigation into West Virginia Republican senatorial candidate Jim Justice's family-owned natural gas business in West Virginia this week. Just imagine that. Right? right. So anyways, Joe Biden, okay, yeah, we're in the Senate. Fuck the FBI. Let's defund them too. We're cutting their budget in half. Good luck paying them. We did it. The appropriation bill goes to Joe Biden's desk. Oh, looks like the FBI is a little short. Let me just write him a check. And boom, then they're funded again. I don't understand what the win's going to be here. Yeah, I don't either. Budgetary Republicans are not going to be able to hit the road next year and say, like, we saved you money. We brought down taxes. We stimulated the economy, not by giving out free checks, but by cutting wasteful spending because they haven't. So even though we're talking about the FBI, I guess all roads lead to the debt ceiling gate now, or at least on this episode of the show. I want to remind everybody where they're listening today, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, subscribe to the show, Steak for Breakfast podcast, give us a five-star review and write a review. Also on social media, Twitter, get her true social, Instagram, Steak for Breakfast podcast, 
follow, notification bell. You'll like what you see, I guarantee. I don't know why I'm rhyming right now because nothing rhymes with the National Pulse, but when you go to the nationalpulse.com, you'll also see our new landing page there. Sign up for the Pulse Plus. Become part of our family. Let us change the way you consume your news and get bonus content like extra commentary on the editorials that are on the website and bonus editions of our show and Flecka's podcast as well. So as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Congressman Wesley Hunt, who I could only assume is going to be a little bit more than fired up when he joins us. James Comer is the person heading this investigation as he sits on the chair of the oversight committee. And, uh, you know, he's the one that's been out there stumping for this the hardest. So it only makes sense to hear from him as we're getting ready to wrap in this clip. But I mean, again, take into consideration that the Republicans are doing the best they can to get to the bottom of this stuff. They've seen some leads at least, which show that they're onto something regarding Joe Biden. I mean, we all know it. Nobody gets diamonds from the former mayor of Moscow's wife as payments for stuff. No one sits on energy boards in Ukraine never having experience and, and gets like 80 dollars a month in payments just because they like you. Right. It's because of who his dad was. It's because of the office that his dad held. It's because, I'll be completely honest with you, nobody really gave a shit about Joe Biden when he was the vice president anyways. We have to be able to see at the end of the day – is there a there there? If House and Senate Republicans are going to take the first term of Joe Biden's office to say he was a corrupt piece of shit and not produce any results, it's not going to bode well in opposition commercials and Democrats who hit the road running against these Republicans in the next election. And with our razor-thin majority in the House, which is... Literally, when you think about it, it's the only reason Kevin McCarthy kicked this budgetary item down the road and passed the next election into 2025 because he's scared he's going to lose power. And that's what Washington, D.C. is all about. How much power, how much money, how much influence you can get while you're there. And now that he's uh, that's a ceiling. Kevin McCarthy's never going to be a vice president. He's definitely never going to be a president. I don't care how high his approval rating gets. We're just not there as far as candidates go. They have to produce some kind of results. So in our last clip of this segment, let's hear it. Uh, James Comer jumped on with Boomer Sweats last night, and they had an interesting back and forth. Let's hear them. Today with the FBI Director Christopher Wray, along with uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, um, and you have been asking and demanding that they turn over this 1023 form. Uh, Director Wray acknowledged that they have it. He would produce it for you in private, um, let, let me ask you about this, because my understanding of a 1023 is, is pretty simple, is that it is a allegation. You and Senator Grassley believe it's a credible allegation based on the individual whistleblower that brought it to your attention. Okay, I tend to trust you too. Uh, however, the question I have is, are we going to start releasing all 1023s publicly? It, would that result in an invasion of privacy or the potential of making accusations against people that they have not fully corroborated? And why not take advantage of the FBI director's offer to see it in like a, a private burn confidential or whatever, human sources, you know, whatever area sweats. he deems secure? Well, to, to answer that question, Sean, he, he offered us the opportunity to come look at it in a private shift. 
but he, he was going to redact it. My experience with getting documents from the FBI when they're redacted, well, the there's very, it, it's all black lines. They don't show anything. So as you, as you can see, at least in the press right now, there's a pushback on these committee chairs. And listen, when you talk about track records, people have a lot of respect for Jim Jordan, James Comer, and mm-hmm. especially for Chuck Grassley. The guy's a national treasure. Yes. And when you see Bill Hemmer, Sean Hannity, Maria Bartiromo saying like, hey, cool story, but where's this going? Like we've already seen this before. Are you just gonna play? Are you gonna make a cool spy movie that in the outcome the bad guys win again? Mm-hmm. Mandamilius already made one of those. Listen, I just want to say to all the uh, Denver Nugget fans out there, can we get this done in four or five games? Because she has confirmed she will be making her illustrious return to Steak for Breakfast at the conclusion of the NBA Finals. However, we do have to talk about basketball in addition to politics. But she's gonna give us a fire segment. I've got the receipts. So this is where we're at. Are we going to have a really shitty plot against the president sequel, even though it's not against the president this time, it's the plot against the house oversight committee and the Senate oversight committee. Who's in the minority. Like that's a really bad subtitle. They'd have to like turn it into an acronym or something. (laughs) Or are we going to get to the bottom of what's in some of these 1023s, especially the ones house Republicans and Chuck Grassley up in the Senate want to see what they mean, who they connect, who we're going to burn, and where does it lead to? Those answers are yet to be determined. Hopefully we have a little bit of a clearer picture of it. I'm assuming that everybody's going to be doing the cable news circuit this weekend, and we'll be touching on it again in our Tuesday edition of the show. We're about to jump in with Congressman Wesley Hunt right now for an awesome America First segment. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh! you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bill's with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bill's traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. Joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman representing Texas's 38th district. Very excited to have back Mr. Wesley Hunt. Congressman, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me, as always, man. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. I mean, we, we still remember that you identify as an Apache attack helicopter from our last time. <laughs> Those are my pronouns, man. and they will never change. <laughs> we definitely had a couple of those uh up on capitol hill this week it was a busy week for house republicans and uh you know just going off of your twitter feed and seeing you do a couple television spots i know you can't be too thrilled about how the week ended uh you know we got the debt ceiling passed in the senate last night which kind of was a nail in the coffin for republicans as far as unity goes but for the ones that ran on being fiscally conservative and getting the budget deficit down and standing up to democrats in both the house and senate and to biden in the white house you guys held the line how did uh you know the week kind of go on for you and, and what were some of the biggest takeaways now that we're past this and going on to things like appropriation uh you know in just a couple of weeks here so you know as the week persisted it kind of became clear uh that the leader uh the speaker mccarthy excuse me had the vote for this thing to pass uh, because the Democrats obviously were very pleased with the deal that they cut. 
which is the canary in the coal mine for us. We should know better. If Democrats are this excited and more Democrats voted for this than Republicans, then we clearly got the wrong end of this deal. Now, my biggest issue is spending. And during COVID, our government spending increased by 40%. COVID is over. It is time for us to go back to pre-COVID spending days. We agreed that $1.5 trillion increased spending was sufficient. And the deal that we got was $4 trillion over the course of the next 18 months. That is not a deal. Now, the 71, me and my 70 colleagues that voted against this and said no, i tell you something. That, that, that makes a lot of noise. A lot of people are paying attention to that. Sure. And maybe we lost this battle, but ultimately we've got to keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away so we can win the war. The greatest threat to our country is going to be our national debt. It's $31 trillion, and by January of 2025, it's going to be $35 trillion with a T. Mm. We are then $5 trillion away from not even being able to pay off the interest on the debt. And we are playing these games. That's why it's up to brave patriots like me and many of my colleagues that understand what's going on here so we can save America's future for our children, our children's children, because we cannot leave the next generation saddled with 50, 60, 70 trillion dollars worth of debt. There will not be an America if that happens. No, oh, you make a, a bunch of excellent points there. One of the things we've been covering heavily on the show is the difference between pre- and post-COVID spending. It was one of the things that we thought Republicans were definitely going to be able to get back to pre-COVID spending, which would normalize, take a considerable amount of chunk off the national debt over the course of the first two years, and then even more so all the way up to 10 years. And, you know, we, we had a well, he, he's, everybody knows who he is. He's one of the best economists who ever lived. Dr. Ron Paul joined us on the show on, on Tuesday, and he said that, you know, this right here, the two biggest things in this bill that Republicans needed to hold the line on was getting back to pre-COVID spending and not allowing Democrats to push this out of the 2024 presidential election cycle simply because then Joe Biden doesn't get to be held accountable for how much reckless spending has happened over the course of the last two and a half years. What do you think about that? That's exactly correct. And this was actually our opportunity to hold him accountable for what we've seen over the course of the past few years. The only thing we just did was kick the can down the road. And we've got to start remedying this right now. We're actually already too late. And what we just did was codify government spending at this rate for the foreseeable future. Because once you let this go, it's hard to scale it back. Once government gets accustomed to spending $4 trillion every 18 months and everyone gets used to it, it's hard to say, guess what? Uh, now we've got to spend three. Now we've got to spend two. No, no, no. You're going to be used to this because you're not going to want to go back. And that's why t- this was absolutely our time. This is a pivotal time in our, in our country's history to say, no, COVID is over, and let's get back to being fiscally responsible for the next decade. We failed on that, but we are going to have another fight here. And it's going to be in 18 months. We have a presidential election. Elections have consequences. And I am praying that America is watching what's happening right now and realizes we've got to vote Republican in 2024. We have got to have the House. 
We've got to have the Senate, and we for damn sure have got to have the presidency. No, we most certainly do. And uh, I think the poll numbers uh, that we've seen rising over, you know, some new ones came out today in Nevada. We saw some national polls over the course of the last few weeks that show President Trump is just continuing to rise, separate himself from the GOP primary field, and actually matching up pretty good, uh, beating Joe Biden in several of the big polls that have come out over the course of the last few weeks. I think there's a lot of answers on that. But in the House and Senate, as we head into appropriation season, are the group of Republicans who stood and held fast in the face of the rising the debt limit right now, are they ready to dig in and recruit more people to stand up to get these appropriations trimmed down and get some of the pork and the fat off of them heading into, uh, you know, moving it on to the Senate this time? Absolutely. And I am one of them. And I can guarantee you there's 70 more, 70 plus that are, I, you know what, honestly, I think it's going to be the majority of our delegation that's going to fight tooth and nail to claw back all of this spending. And maybe we lost this battle. I understand that. I understand the debt ceiling, that, that the, raising the debt ceiling looms every, every year or so. I got that. But now we have to get granular. Now we have to actually do our job that's controlled, use the power of the purse to stop spending so much money. I think we had an opportunity to take a hacket to this thing. We missed an opportunity, and now we got to get our scalpel out. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I saw uh, one of your counterparts, Congressman Byron Donalds, he was on one of the cable news networks last night, and and they, you know, kind of always just kind of uh, bait the Republicans into getting their talking points, and they're like, well, what if Speaker McCarthy put you guys in a situation right now to where it's continuing resolution and eventual omnibus bill, and he just laughed, and it was like, not happening. So I, I, I'm very optimistic going into the appropriation season that you guys are going to be able to uh, do the things you wanted to get done with the debt ceiling, but more importantly, targeted at the federal agencies, especially some of the ones that that have been a little bit out of control for the last couple of years, if you know what I mean, Congressman. The IRS, the FBI, the CIA, the ATF. It has been absurd what they are doing to the American public. They are not doing their job. Their job is not to attack American citizens especially attack American citizens because of their political beliefs. We've got to scale that back as well. And I'm not talking about the FBI, the ATF agents that are kicking down doors and conducting connect operations. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the bureaucrats that are operating under political auspices that has got to stop. That's not why you're here. No, it certainly isn't. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how how the battlefield kind of lays itself out over the course of the next several months. I do want to switch gears, though, a little bit, Congressman, because you do sit on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, The House Oversight is also doing a lot of work uh, in tandem with you guys. Now, we've seen a lot of stonewalling happening so far from FBI Director Chris Wray regarding some of the investigations in Joe and Hunter Biden. Uh, How do you feel as sitting on these committees, uh, you know, uh, getting into some of these investigations, peeling back the layers of what's happened with the Biden crime family and some of the other stuff that's going on within our own federal agencies and seeing the FBI director who's been embattled for years now? Uh, just kind of do whatever he wants to do. And, and it, it looks like he's going to try and play the Eric Holder card and just it doesn't matter if they hold me in contempt, I'll ride it out. They'll slap me with a couple of years of probation. I'll never do time. And, and then I'll be out of there on my government pension. The, the, the Biden crime family is the exact vernacular we need to be using. That is absolutely so true. Uh, Joe Biden's brother and Hunter Biden are criminals and they should be in jail. And if this were the Trump family, Imagine if this were Don Jr. Imagine if this were Ivanka. Do you know what will be happening right now? If this wouldn't be a witch hunt, they'd all be under the jail. And the reason why the American public is so upset about what we're seeing is is that we just want equal justice. That's it. 
equal justice for everyone. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter who you are. If you break the law, then you go to jail. Well, you're looking at what Hunter Biden has done over the course of the past few years. You're looking at these ridiculous deals that he has made with Russia and China with no experience. Well, I, there is evidence of him lying to the ATF to get a weapon that he took a picture of while he was butt naked holding a weapon that he obtained illegally. And the head of the ATF, who was, who was, who was in a judiciary hearing a few weeks ago, said nothing about this. Mm-hmm. This is good for us because the American public needs to see the disparity. I don't want them to stop. In fact, I got asked yesterday at a town hall in, in my office here in Houston, you know, should we impeach Biden? Hell no, we should impeach Biden. No. He is the greatest salesman for the American first agenda for the next 18 months. The American public needs to see just how flawed he is, how flawed the family is, how flawed the system is by not treating them equally. And guess what? Take them out. Let's, and let's get our country back to putting our priorities first. And, and, you know, if you just look at Joe Biden, the person, it seems that he had a pretty big fall into his campaign kickoff yesterday at the Air Force Academy graduation, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> we had, you know, that's not a no, you want to know what? I heard you on Don Jr.'s show. Uh, last time you did it, I think, like, the day after you did ours, and it was such great content. I said, listen, we got to get this guy yelling and screaming and laughing, and, and I think we've notched everything so far. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Congressman, last thing I want to ask you about is, is a little bit about the Republican primary. We know you're on uh, President Trump's re-election delegation down there in Texas. Uh, the president has endorsed you twice. Obviously, you endorsed him as soon as you were elected to Congress. And, and we see a lot of the people who come on our show, consequently, all voted no to raise the debt ceiling and all have endorsed President Trump. Uh it seems like there's a simple solution to the problems in this country, but a lot of the people in the mainstream media, the print press, the billionaire donor class, and the lobby groups are trying to confuse the American public and saying that, you know, it's time to move past Donald Trump. It's time to not make America great again, but make America establishment again to where you don't worry about the news and you let everybody operate in the shadows. And don't worry, the, the debt didn't get to $32 trillion because of, you know, Democrats. It's because of other stuff that we don't want to take any accountability for, even though it literally was them. And, and you know, we're at a point right now, we always say it, it sounds cliche that this is the most important election in our history. When you and someone with an extensive military background like yourself, Congressman, see the way geopolitically the chess pieces are moving around the world and where Donald Trump's biggest accomplishments as president came in the geopolitical arena because it's where the administrative state couldn't hurt him as much as they tried to domestically by slowing him down. How important is it for it to get the right man in the White House in 2024? We need to secure the border. We need to rein in government spending. We need a safe country. We need to we our economy to grow out of this. We can't just cut spending. We have to grow out of this. We need to unleash American energy. We need to unleash American innovation. We need to stop spending money in all these other countries and fighting in foreign wars. And you know the person that can do that? Donald John Trump. We've already seen it. He's already done it. He has unfinished business. And what I want is we put somebody in office that doesn't owe anyone anything. On day one, on day one, he is a lame duck president, which means he will sign 167 executive orders reversing all of this, and you just watch. In six months, America will be on the right track to greatness again, and then he has an opportunity to pass the mantle on to his vice president. Let's get this done. It's just that simple. 
for everybody that thinks that President Trump is not going to be the primary, is not going to come out of the Republican primary, you're wrong. Get over it. I don't care how you feel about him. I personally think he's fantastic. But if you don't like him, I don't care if you don't like his tweets, this, that, and the third, that doesn't matter. Either it's going to be President Trump or an 80-plus-year-old Joe Biden that literally can't walk downstairs, can't finish sentences, and shake hands with the Easter Bunny. It's your choice. You know, but guess what? <laughs> if we don't have Trump, it's not going to be good for this country. No, you led us right into some breaking news. I'm actually watching across the Twitter feed in studio here, Congressman. You don't even know that this happened. Joe Biden just landed in the White House on his return trip from Colorado. And as he was stepping off Marine One, he slipped and banged his head on the entryway of the helicopter and almost fell down the stairs. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, and I don't even like, you know, President Trump was very diplomatic about this last night on Hannity. Yeah. Uh, he was very, very kind about it, and I, and I appreciate it. I'm not going to be so kind. This man is not physically fit to be the president of the United States. Agreed. I don't care if he's 80 years old. I don't care what his age is. This guy has got to go. I don't think you make uh, a better case than that. We, we, we've got the receipt. Listen, I, I honestly think President Trump is a little reserved right now because he's saving it for the general election. He knows that he's pulling ahead. When it's time to get into a street fight in the primaries on the debate stage, if he's you know if they're trailing him and like the DeSantis team was in Iowa this week, he's going to bob and weave and does whatever. He's like, you want to know what? This guy wants to hold a town hall with 300 people at it. Let's go eat at a restaurant organically and see you know just how it is when someone's a touchable political figure, which is very uh you know not common in in this day and age so i I, right. I i agree with you wholeheartedly we endorse president trump on day one and and we will continue to do so and support him on his endeavor to reclaim the oval office congressman this has been awesome sitting down with you again we don't want to keep you anymore we know you got a crazy busy schedule back in district but for anyone that's not following you we're going to live link your congressional website and what twitter handle do you want to give out today wesley hunt tx Perfect. And we'll live link that in the show description as well. And we can only anticipate your next appearance here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. This is the congressman who's representing Texas 38, Mr. Wesley Hunt. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Anytime. God bless y'all. Donald Trump is trouncing Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's not even remotely close. You look at Rasmussen, you look at Emerson, you look at Harvard Harris, you look at the ABC Washington Post polls. Every one of those polls shows Donald Trump soundly beating Ron DeSantis. Uh, So I think, look, Ron DeSantis or Team DeSantis is banking on that Merrick Garland is going to use lawfare Mm -hmm. to imprison Donald Trump. That's literally their strategy. Ron DeSantis was given fed garbage polls. He made bad decisions based on flawed assumptions, Mm -hmm. and he's going to pay the ultimate price in the end. And the unfortunate part is that I actually like Ron DeSantis. I think that he had a bright political future, and I think he's a great governor of the state of Florida, but I think that he's going to pay the price. All right, let's play a little GOP presidential primary roundup. Well, Antoinette, I'm pretty sure that you could agree with him there in regards to the bad consulting, the uh, team that he's assembled, and then the poll numbers, which even this week, Mark Mitchell of Rasmussen Polling was on here no less than two weeks ago, and he said, it doesn't matter who gets in the race between now and when Ron DeSantis announces or not, there will be no bump in the polls for him. And we've seen Donald Trump actually go up in some of the polls in a head-to-head matchup against the GOP primary field and head-to-head with Joe Biden. What do you think? Is the primary over and we're only going to make some like good memories here of like Trump rallies and one-liners on the debate stage? Do you see any viable path aside from a 
prison-related conviction that Donald Trump is not on the ticket as the GOP nominee next year? Well, of course. Are you kidding me? 100% he's going to be. 100% it's over? 100% it is over. Over. Listen, if we we had all Wesley Hunts as congressman, after we just listened to him uh, erupt here on Steak for Breakfast... I don't think the debt ceiling bill would have passed. No. He's fire. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we got him to laugh. We didn't even have to hit the garrison button. (laughs) No, it's good stuff. And and I'll be completely honest with you. You have to, you know, look at the way that this race is shaping up now that Ron DeSantis has had a launch and relaunch of his (laughs) campaign, hitting the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Towards the end of this week and into the weekend, uh, he was still trying to figure out what he could throw at the wall and make stick in regards to, I guess, negatively attacking Donald Trump. It doesn't seem like he's tied any of his campaign-related strategy to Donald Trump yet, like Donald Trump is hammering him on an hourly basis. Brutal. But... He is fielding questions from reporters now, and when they kind of work him up, you know, Ron DeSantis kind of gives a half snappy answer. I just want you guys to be able to understand, because it's going to be a weird back and forth. We're going to play a clip from DeSantis, then a clip from Trump, as they're kind of sparring on the road in Iowa here over the last couple days. And you could see someone who's like a seasoned veteran like Donald Trump. It's a little bit different when you're hearing it come out of somebody like Ron DeSantis. If you're not following yet, check out this first clip. It's about uh, changing your tone a little bit with former President Trump. I don't believe you mentioned him here by name tonight. But does this mean you're going to be a bit more aggressive with campaigning against him? So, look, I'm going to respond to uh, attacks. I mean, if, if you say Cuomo did a better job with COVID than Florida did, first of all, that's not what he used to say. This is like new, like six months ago, he would have never said that, right? He used to say how great Florida was. Hell, his whole family moved to Florida under my governorship. Are you kidding me? Um, so, so some of this stuff, I think, is, look, if someone is saying that, I am going to counterpunch. I'm going to fight back on it. I'm going to focus my fire on Biden. And I think he should do the same. He gives Biden a free pass. Um, I'm focusing on Biden. That's my focus. Well, I mean, you can't blame him. He had more fire there than usual. Yeah, than usual. Wait, wait, because, I mean, wait till you he, hear him go off on a reporter in a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah, it was it was pretty uh, weird. Oh, but maybe he, he's just getting frustrated now, being shit on. Is it a smart? campaign strategy as the number two with such a wide gap separating him from Donald Trump right now to focus on Biden instead of laying out his own campaign platform, defending his bad decisions and achievements and kind of laying out, I mean, how he's going to be the wish version of Donald Trump, no matter how you try to wrap it up. That's what it's going to be at the end of the day. Basically. Have you physically seen him lately and how, thin and tired he looks already because obviously he hopped on the Ozempic train, right? He's, he's lost a ridiculous amount of weight in like the last couple months. You think DeSantis? Yeah. I think that, I think he's stressed out more than anything to be fair. He doesn't even I fit think- in his clothes anymore. It looks like every single one was like off the rack at a Burlington coat factory. 
Yeah, like his collar loose. Every, just the, everything. Yeah, just, I feel like he's he's just under a lot of stress, and he I, he's I think he's being held against his will to do this shit. To be honest, and and it's not easy being him right now, in my opinion. No, and his wife's definitely running him ragged. You could tell she's like quickly evolving into like a pseudo Hillary Clinton post Monica. But I mean, you know, didn't she have cancer? Yeah. Is she better now? Do we know anything about that? Yeah, she's she... made a full recovery. Yeah. Oh, well, thank God. I mean, I don't wish anything bad on them or even DeSantis at all. I'm just, I feel, I feel sorry for the guy, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, people were running around recently saying that Ronda, Ron DeSantis was on the autism spectrum. Oh. Then, then it got all the way up to fucking Steve Bannon's war room. And next thing you know, I'm flipping through Twitter this morning. And this is a major outlet, even though yeah. they're garbage. Politico. What? Wrote a, wrote a, wrote a, like a pseudo hit piece saying that like, even though it's been used from everywhere, from internet chat rooms to Steve Bannon's war room, the DeSantis campaign hasn't waited. Imagine being a presidential candidate, someone who like went from Harvard Law to Navy JAG to the U.S. Justice Department, to a U.S. House seat, and now is the governor of Florida who announced his candidacy to run for president of the United States, and Politico wrote an article saying that the DeSantis team hasn't responded to allegations that Ron DeSantis might be on the autism spectrum. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know what? I don't think so. I no, think me that's... either, but I mean, it's hilarious. It's so funny, and I think maybe they're just not even, they're not addressing it because it's so stupid. You know, no, you're right. And, and I mean, these guys were sparring on the campaign trail. It, it was meet and greets, town halls and speaking events multiple throughout the day. We've heard Ron DeSantis weigh in on Donald Trump and his for anyone out there that's listening. And you wonder where like this Andrew Cuomo narrative comes in and handling the pandemic better than Ron DeSantis. First of all, stop it. Second of all, yeah. this is Trump 101. He takes like the worst thing you could possibly be compared to imaginable and, yeah, and makes it's it, it, it it's a massive troll. That's all it is. Yeah. Gaslighting and trolling. Yep. He's just he's just fucking around. <laughs> and and because he says it with a straight face and, yeah. and just the way he says it, sometimes in intimate settings, like it's a one on one town hall, the spotlight's on him, the whole rest of the room's dark, and he's like, Yeah, I worked with a whole bunch of governors during the pandemic and you know, in just some ways Andrew Cuomo like he, st he stood in the breach, and Ron DeSantis didn't. He's like, I don't know what, you know, who's me, who's me to decide. And then, but it, when you hear it, it's like, okay, he's he hates Andrew Cuomo. Of course, and, and, and we know that. He, we know the truth, and he, he doesn't believe that. But it's like you said, it's an epic troll. Yeah. It is. And every, everybody's taking the bait because you have everybody, even the mainstream media, oh, Donald Trump, why does he have to act this way? And it's just like, we're going to get to Donald Trump and the way he acts in a little bit. I don't want to rush it because he was talking about politicians who refuse to take questions and just read prepared speeches, as a lot of them have already, um, you know, that are declared in this race. Let's hear 45 weigh in and, and, and kind of clap back on everything that's going on with the DeSantis team. 
the way, when we're finished, we'll take a couple of questions and we'll do that. And because I, I see these politicians, they all don't want to take questions. You know, they walk in, they make, they read a speech. So here's my speech that I'm supposed to be reading, right? Uh, but I'm saying basically the same thing. It's called you have a good memory. You memorize. Say, <laughs> oh, his speech writers, they are some of the finest. Speaking of which, you know, at the end of the segment, we're not done yet. Steak for breakfast enjoyer, former Daily Caller, roving correspondent, whose life has been threatened dozens of times by the Mexican cartels, was mm. on the ground in Kenosha, was at January 6th, and is coming back on the show today now that he's gotten a promotion, jumping over from the Daily Caller to becoming the national correspondent at News Nation. Jorge Ventura will be joining us at the end of this segment. So nice. lots of action packed still. We're going to keep it on here and, and talk about, well, we're, we're trying to find some sound bites for Ron DeSantis. And uh, it was hard. So I gave you some homework last night, Antoinette, and I'm sure you were as equally unimpressed as I was because <laughs> the gang over at Ruthless decided to do a welcome to the party round. They've been waiting for so long. Wow. And just the... Cringe, cringe. More astroturfing for the, anyone who doesn't believe me. It, it's like called Ron DeSantis, like wokeism destroyer episode. It's like their newest one. And I'm not hating on the gang over there. They do a good job. They get some top tier candidates. They've already had a couple presidential announced candidates on. I think Nikki's done their show. Vivek's done their show. The large yeah, no one. In that sense. We're just laughing at the fact of every single thing that Ron DeSantis did that was either good or bad. They either nutted to it or made excuses for it oh my god and that's just that's really the way that i heard it and i went back and i listened to it a second time and i said and it's just they've gotten into that narrative now to where it's the same thing that you've heard from jenna ellis it's the same thing you've heard from dave rubin it's the same thing you heard from clay and buck when they hang up on trump supporters who call their show and they just hang up on them how are they gonna like how are they going to come back from this? The people that are like, you know, like the Dave Rubens and the Jenna Ellis's, you know, when Trump is back in office. Do you want to know what they're honestly going to do? They're all going to migrate for the ones that aren't already there. Dave Rubens there. They're going to go under the umbrella of the Daily Wire yeah. and be Laffy Taffy fake conservatism. And, and they're going to, whatever they say, they're ridiculously large listenership. I think they have over a million subs at the Daily Wire. And mm -hmm. it's pretty costly. We'll just go and Pied Piper to whatever they say and, and you know they'll think that that's strong america first because those are some of the words they used even though they're not well, yeah i mean and like i'm saying what i'm trying to say is too is like when trump wins they're gonna they're gonna you know they'll just go into their own little echo chamber and they'll survive until the next listen whoever everybody forgets <laughs> well not only that but after donald trump whoever replaces them i don't see anyone out there right now that's even close no i don't even know who would his job of kingmaking will be equally, if not harder, a challenge than it will be fixing literally the planet that Joe Biden has fucked up over the last three yeah. years. I totally agree. Because, you know, a lot of people love Glenn Youngkin, but Glenn Youngkin is nowhere near the caliber of Donald Trump. And Glenn Youngkin is tied to the establishment based off of his extensive business background. You know, Ron DeSantis is going to be done after this. He'll be like... Well, he might get fat again because he'll get off the Ozempic, so he might be like another version of Chris Christie who could be a bull in a china shop and knows what to say but just never really resonates with anybody because here's the deal about Ron DeSantis. Aside from his win in the midterm election this year, which was a remarkable one, what he did in Florida, 
Yeah, no, that a hundred percent. But when you talk about all his other races, he won a house seat, right? By slim margins. He ran for a Senate seat when Marco Rubio was in the 2015 pool with Donald Trump and everybody for the first time. Marco Rubio didn't vacate a seat, so he went back to it. Ron DeSantis dropped out of that. Right. His first running of the governorship, where he was down by, I don't want to exaggerate here, triple digits before Donald Trump came in, got him through the primary and then into the governor's mansion. Mm-hmm. Then you take two years out of his governorship and completely erase them because of the pandemic, Right. Yep. You're getting the Ron DeSantis that has always been this Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Not the Ron DeSantis that was able to harness lightning in a bottle and turn it into one of the biggest electoral victories in Florida gubernatorial history. Aside from that, you're getting this Ron DeSantis. And people are wondering, like, how can these polls be real? How can people not like him? He's on Fox News 24 hours a day sometimes. Every single show he'll have a 10-minute segment. And then Brian, Brian Kilmeade will go out on Fox and Friends in the morning to a diner in Ron DeSantis's former house district and won't be able to find a single fucking person that's voting for him. Is this, it's so hard for me to believe that, I don't, I don't, I don't know. They're, is this really the real Ron DeSantis? He's the Joe Biden of this GOP race. Oh, yeah. Joe Biden was the great negotiator. He was the calm to the storm. He was something different than everybody else. He's not as radical as Barack Obama and he's not as hawkish as Hillary Clinton. He's right in the middle. He's the grandpa that's going to sit both sides of the aisle down by the fire. Two years later, we get pedo Hitler speech. Right. He ate shit at the Air Force Academy graduation yesterday and then smashed his head coming out of Marine One on the front lawn of the White House today. And that's literally what you're getting around. He looks uncomfortable. He sounds uncomfortable. We're going to hear him snap on somebody in just a little bit. It doesn't sound at all. It does not sound genuine at all. It literally sounds like he's reading a script and he's being like, like I said earlier, held hostage, like with a gun to his head. He does not want to do this. It does not look like he wants to do this at all. Raheem Kasama, the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse. Jack Posobiec, the, I don't know, godfather of human events. Everyone knows it. The consultants his wife and the Florida paid influencer industrial complex around him focus groups are driving the Ron DeSantis that you're seeing. And that's not what he does. He picked up legislative victories in Florida here and there throughout the term of his governorship, his first term. Remember two years are out the window because of COVID and everybody did a bad job during COVID. People who listen to this show, like I see sometimes people are like, Oh yeah, there's like a funk Donald Trump cheerleading squad. Fuck that. Donald Trump makes a bad decision. This is the first place you'll hear about it. And and we don't care. And we'll tell you exactly why. He makes a bad hire. Equally same coverage as if he makes a good one. But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to have the wool pulled over your eyes by people like Jenna Ellis and Dave Rubin and all those retards that are running his online campaign, Christina Peshaw, you know, Redfern, Aaron over it. Listen, the Ron DeSantis Super PAC Twitter account has been active since March. They still aren't at 11,000 followers. Crazy. Crazy. That just tells you so much just in itself. You're getting Joe Biden (laughs) by Ron DeSantis right now because they're telling you he's something he's not. You're getting, if you just go back and look at his honest to God track record, his electoral history, his votes in the house, the leak tapes when he was running for governor and saying like, you know what? I am concerned about running up against people that vote for Donald Trump in the last election because 
I don't vote with him all the time, so I know they're going to be pissed off. That's, so that's the that's the real Ron DeSantis. Well, yeah, but he's also being realistic. He like, in a sense, like it's this is the worst time for him to do something like this. The worst time. And it's because every single person around the world, the international lobby groups, the billionaire donor class, the international mm-hmm. media corporations, where do they make all their money? They make their money in China. They make their money in Russia. They make their money in India. They make all their money in places that Donald Trump forced them to bend the knee in his first administration. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump had some pretty awesome America first domestic wins for farmers, for border security with the economy. But when you talk about how the administrative state stymied his first campaign as he was the president in office, Donald Trump's biggest wins came geopolitically what he did to China, taxes and tariffs, how he eliminated the caliphate of ISIS, nuking, figuratively, Soleimani on an Iraqi tarmac, building all of these relationships that became the Abrams Accords, the multi-billion dollar defense deals with countries, making NATO pay, where, mm-hmm. I, where the domestic administrative state who could gum up anything with red tape of the United States could fuck Donald Trump over in his first term. He took his show on the road, and they will write policy books about what he did in his first term, hopefully again in his second, mm-hmm. much in the same way they did with people you know, like Richard Nixon, like Ronald Reagan. And the fact of the matter is, Ron DeSantis doesn't have any of that track record. He had a good economy. He was the best... At, on the economy during COVID and fucked himself over when he wanted to go play games with Disney. Everybody else in the GOP field smells blood in the water because Disney's gummed up in court. And now they're going to pull him back to the pool of crappy candidates because this is what everybody's hitting him on. Yeah. And, and you know, he owes, I feel like he's owned by a lot of people. So. Oof. No, it, it, it's crazy. I want to get back to some of these clips because some of them are going, here's Ron DeSantis. Here's Ron DeSantis telling you what somebody else in a coach session told him to say while he was on the road in Iowa about what he's going to do when he gets into the White House. Let's hear it. Pushing back, saying he's only going to need six months to do it. I'd like to get your response. Well, what I said specifically was to to slay the deep state, this big, unaccountable bureaucracy that's been weaponized, that we've been complaining about as Republicans for decades. To be able to slay that, um, that is going to require discipline, it's going to require focus, and it's going to require an ability to be long enough so that the bureaucrats just can't, can't outwaste you. So, you know, if the former president says he can slay the deep state in six months, my question to him would be, well, you already had four years, why didn't you slay it then? <laughs> did you see what I did there, though? I kind of laid it out there yeah. and, and talked about where Donald Trump slayed and where he was slowed in slaying. No, totally. And this Ron DeSantis <laughs> thinks that he can do it in fucking six months. And he... <laughs> Oh, Trump had four years. Yeah. And those four years, he was stonewalled with everything. And in those four years, he got more done than any president in our modern history. Like, really, Ron, you're owned by these deep staters. And that's the Come thing. It's, a, it's, it's money back now. There's, a, there's no backing out. Yeah. I, I wish there was because you could have really not rebranded like they are right now because they're, they're trying to make Ron DeSantis like a better version of Donald Trump, a more welcoming, like the Joe Biden. He's the grandpa that's going to yeah. like tell everybody everything's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. It's not, listen, and if you keep saying, if your campaign platform is going to be, I'm going to destroy leftism, oh. 
and nuke wokeism, oh. you're done. Yeah. Ron DeSantis still doesn't have a policy platform on his campaign website. Agenda 47 is outlined in every way, shape, or f- and form on Donald Trump's. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, he doesn't have a track record, so Trump can say all that shit. But if this guy's running on that, like, I mean, please, we already have a candidate that's way stronger. Yeah, and that's done a lot of the things that need to be done again in, in 2025. Donald Trump has heard this kind of stick from Ron DeSantis. In addition, they're also running now on... well. It, in addition to, so here's the big things. Donald Trump handed the keys of the country over to Fauci during COVID. That's like one of their big ones, right? And Mm -hmm. Donald Trump only has four years in office. I could be in office for eight. I think that's an amazing thing because number one, you have a mandate. You also don't give a fuck. You're not running Mm -hmm. for reelection. You're going to tear it up and tear it down and do whatever you want. He, alluded to this on the campaign trail Donald Trump did in town hall and took a question on this and let's hear his answer the time it's a great question because I've been watched uh, I've been watching DeSantis go out and say uh, <laughs> I've got eight years it's gonna be eight years let me tell you something right there you should vote against him it'll take me six months to have it totally the way it was we'll have it fast it's drilling it's the wall and it's getting criminals out of our country that have been allowed to come in so Domestic freely. Right we're going to get them out. ICE, we're going to double up on ICE and the Border Patrol. They're incredible people. Brandon Judd and Tom Holman and Oof. some people that we have are phenomenal people. But they uh, don't use the good ones. They use uh, very liberal, very radical left people. And I, they, it's hard to believe. You know, I, was, I did hundreds of miles of wall. Then I said, you know, we should do more. What do you think? And they gave me other locations. We were going to add another 200 miles to it. We started, would have been done within a few weeks. And the stuff was all there. They actually lifted it up and took it where Texas and Arizona can't get it. Can you believe it? Instead of saying, you guys put it up yourself, at least. But they didn't want it up. That's when I said, these guys actually believe in open borders. Who can believe in an open border? But when I heard uh, DeSantis go out and say, uh, and, and talk about eight years, we need eight years. You don't need eight years. You need six months. We can turn this thing around so quickly. If you need eight years, who the hell wants to wait eight years? You don't need eight years. I'll have it turned around. And I think fully turned around. We'll be drilling and we'll be doing a lot of things. We'll be energy independent in six months. We'll be able to do that in six months. Don't forget, I filled up the National Reserves. I did a lot of things at cheap, very cheap prices. Congress held me back, actually. But we had a deal where I was going to fill it up for nothing, you know, when the oil was down so low because we had so much of it. We have more liquid gold under our feet than Saudi Arabia and Russia. Think of it. We have more than any other country. We were going to double up on them. We were not only going to be dominant, we were going to be beyond dominant. We were going to be bigger than Russia and Saudi Arabia times two. We were going to make a fortune with energy. We were going to start paying off debt and further reducing taxes. It was so beautiful. It was working so great. And then they just shut it all down. So a shame. But uh, it's not eight years. It's six months. Stamp it. Bookmark mm-hmm. it if you're on Twitter. Save the podcast. Hopefully you're subscribed. You might as well do that. Mm-hmm. Wherever you're listening today, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart. Subscribe to the show. Rate it. Leave a review. Social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Follow notification bell there as well. And then, of course, our newest home, part of the National Pulse family. It's thenationalpulse.com. 
That's thenationalpulse.com. Sign up for Pulse Plus. You get bonus episodes of Stake for Records podcast, Red Meat every Sunday. You also get Fleckus Talks podcast bonus shows, Bonus Land, and whatever else is coming down the pike. We're getting a social media application soon. It's going to be awesome. And uh, they've got some great stuff going. If you haven't been to the new National Pulse website, I really encourage you to go over and check it out. Just the layout itself is visually pleasing, and then the content is always as great as ever. So we're going to do a little bit of DeSantis cringe, Antoinette, because there was a couple of them. The first one is, I know you've you've kind of hitched your wagon to DeSantis. Mm-hmm. I don't hate it. Um, no, funny, but but I, I've come up with another one, but we're going to hear Ron DeSantis actually asked by a reporter about the new old pronunciation of his last name, DeSantis. Oh, and uh, <laughs> wait, wait till you hear this cringe response. Names, uh, European names, Steinhauser. There's been some confusion over your last name and the pronunciation, and I'm just wondering to correct the record, what is it? Oh, it's ridiculous, these stupid things. Listen, the way to pronounce my last name, winner. <laughs> I heard Wiener. So so I was kind of rolling with Ron D. Wiener for the last couple of days on Twitter. It seems to be getting a little traction, not as much as I would have. I mean, yeah. when you resort back to toilet humor, people just kind of scroll past it, but. I was so cringe. Come on, Ron. What are you doing? It just—it doesn't even suit him. You know what I mean? And, and you want to know what? Somebody probably got paid tens of thousands of dollars to come up with that and be like, oh, that's going to be absolutely killer. They're going to play on it. Well, they, I mean, they played it over and over and over again on Fox News, but that wasn't the biggest cringe of them all. He went off on a reporter, as as we've seen him do a couple times since this thing has rolled out. You know, they, they kept hitting him up about, oh, what happened with the Elon thing, Elon thing, Elon, and then he got pissed off. Then they say, they keep asking him about Trump. Listen, you moved your whole family to Florida is what was his response to Donald Trump saying that, like, Florida isn't as great as it was under other governors. Donald Trump bought Mar-a-Lago in fucking 1985. Um, everybody knows he lives in Mar-a-Lago half the year, and right. he lives in Bedminster pretty much the other half of the year, and he goes around to all the other places, Vegas, New York, Doral, and Scotland. He goes and visits a couple times a year. That's just a stupid answer, and, and everybody laughed because they don't really know. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it's one of those things where we're going to see a lot of that. Him saying that Donald Trump literally moved to Mar-a-Lago <laughs> during COVID and under his governorship is the same thing as Donald Trump saying, like, well, Andrew Cuomo was a better governor than you. It's just the way I see it. Yeah. So ridiculous. But he was asked after a speaking event because Donald Trump had done a couple town halls, especially uh, he did an improv one when he went to meet a large group of his ground game in Iowa he went to meet all the people that are going to be knocking on doors and making phone calls, setting up for the rally when he decides to reschedule that one. And the reporters were like, you know, Trump's doing Q&As all over. The- Why aren't you answering? He was taking pictures with a couple people, like signing his book and stuff like that. Wait till you hear him snap on this reporter. And I take any questions from voters, Governor. Governor, how come you're not taking questions from voters? Not coming up to me, talking to me. What are you talking about? I'm not here working with people. Are you? Are you blind? What? Are you blind? I'm not blind. Okay, so people are coming up to me, talking to me, whatever they want to talk to me about. And his like guards, his security started like bodying him, because he started doing like you know how he's been doing like the crazy head shake. Yeah. Well, when he went into like, are you blind? Like, seriously, dude, are you blind? Like, this, his bodyguards <laughs> kind of, like, got in between him and the guy and, like, started shuffling him away because oh he's sitting there smiling for people taking selfies with him, and this guy's like, why aren't you answering questions about what your policy platform is? Right. And right. Yeah, it was 
probably not the last time we're going to hear him get pissed off either. So I know we all saw it last night. Trump sat down for kind of a boring-ish town hall with Boomer Sweats because it was Boomer Sweats. Sean Hannity did what he does all the time. He controls the entire narrative. He not only lays out the premise of the question, he asks the question, he half answers the question, and then wants, like, whoever is his guest, last night it was Donald Trump, to finish the sentence. And, and that's just the way Sean Hannity has already always been. They started to field audience questions right at the end, probably like the last 10 minutes, but I guess it was a 90-minute town hall, so we're going to get the other 30 minutes, the first half of Boomer Sweats tonight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he did ask Donald Trump about the kind of place we're in right now as a nation and how this election is so serious. I thought it was a pretty good question. You know, Sean Hannity, we call him Boomer Sweats because he gets all the boomers sweaty when he dooms about everything. And uh, that's kind of where the nickname came from. I mean, it's a little bit easier to pick up why we call Laura Ingram the Botox queen. Because <laughs> like Christina Peshaw, she can't fucking blink. Um, but, you know, my wife will say like, how does she eat? She looks she looks like Tim Allen in Jingle All the Way when he gets all the Botox in his face. He's trying to like eat the peaches and they're falling out of his mouth. Like oh, that's what so these cute, people though. look like. It's so funny. But yeah, he, it's so weird when I watch her talk and I'm like, oh my God, who is her injector? What is she thinking? I mean, you get to a certain age, you got to do it all the time. No, nah, but not like that. You got to be able to still move your face. You can't talk like this all the time. It's like. And, and she laughs and her lips like go like counter each other so it's like her lips are scissoring and i'm like (laughs) this looks like a bad character from like futurama or something but oh lord sean hannity (laughs) did lay out it's the dangerous time and important election for our country obviously we need somebody to come in and save us i thought it was a good way to kind of wrap here and uh let's hear it our role on the world stage let me let me i do say this i think it's the most serious time and the most dangerous time right now in the history of our country We have nuclear weapons on lots of different areas. Uh, We have Russia. We have North Korea. We have Iran is going to soon have one. That should have never happened. I had that set up. We would have made that deal within a week after the election, and they would have never had a nuclear weapon. But nobody picked it up because I terminated the Iran nuclear deal. But this is the most dangerous time in the history of our country because of the power of the weaponry. And we have somebody that doesn't understand what's happening and it's a very dangerous thing it's a very bad thing uh i mean some really bad things if you would see and i got to see it if you would see the power of what we're talking about this is an army tanks going back and forth shooting at each other this is something that's a whole different place this is annihilation of the world literally the power is so so horrible and uh i was actually working on something with putin where we start getting rid of nuclear weapons It's just too powerful. And, you know, all of a sudden people are talking about nuclear weapons all the time. I wouldn't let people talk about it. I had somebody come down from MIT. I was talking about that. My uncle was a a great professor for many years at MIT. And I had somebody come down and I say, what would you say, like, during the debate about nuclear weapons? He looked at me and said, sir, don't talk about them. I said, why? Don't say the He said, there's nothing you can say. It's so powerful. It's so extraordinary. The best thing you can do is not talk about them. Now they're talking about them all the time. That's all they talk about. Uh, in fact, I guess Putin announced the other day he's moving nuclear weapons to Belarus. So this is a very dangerous time for our country, but it's a very dangerous time for the whole world. You end your rallies. It's the truth. And guess what? Those nuclear weapons are already in Belarus. 
Mm-hmm. And just, I believe this morning, they had a huge, like, kind of uh, press release come out of the Kremlin. Ooh. Because of all the shit that's going on, and, and the only thing that the West is doing to end the war in Ukraine is fuel it with high-tech weaponry and irrehensible rhetoric, Putin said, you, you want to know what? We're not going to be finished until we take Kiev. Huh. Good. Yeah. I mean, these, these people have to learn. There's been zero. There's been negative diplomacy in regards to that right there. And, and you know, Donald Trump, you, the word annihilation, I hate hearing politicians say stuff like that. But the mm-hmm. thing is, these assholes up in Washington, D.C., and this administration has always thought because of who we are, and what our street cred is as a nation, none of this shit was going to happen. Yeah, the border is going to be fucked, but 10 million people aren't going to come in in two years. Guess what? 10 million people have come in in two years. There's no way the economy will get that bad. It'll bounce back. Let's just keep printing money. Nobody gives a shit. It's going to take the economy, well, once we get to 2025, six months. I want the inflation back down 1%. <laughs> but this war... Everybody just keeps throwing weapons, money, weapons, money, jets, missiles, you know, and you name it, it's fucking there now, including troops from every country. I heard Colonel McGregor, who's going to be joining us next week, say that a, uh, like a joint center, which was staffed with some NATO officers, was destroyed in Kiev over the weekend. You know what that means? Allied troops, which may or may not have included Americans, died. Guess who's reporting it? No one. Because you want to know why? People in Italy, people in Great Britain, people in Germany and France and the United States are going to start asking. You you said we weren't doing the troops thing. Like, okay, it's bad. We want to fund it. What do you mean bodies are coming home now? And what's the next step after that? You know what I'm saying? Like, these people have played around so much with our country and the inept, just absolute ridiculous way that the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, and our military is being ran right now. I mean, look at the fucking commander-in-chief. We don't even have to get into it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and we are literally, every single night when you go to sleep and close your eyes, just think in your head, our toes are the line of World War Three, which is the extinction of man, essentially. You think, like, one person's going to set off like a tactical nuke and, and make a statement and there's going to be no answer from either side. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And, and, you know, there's one man who showed, regardless of whether or not you like the way he did it, I can actually go an entire term, start no wars, end some, and make sure all of our geopolitical allies, and I'm quoting now, are in check. And they were whether it was because of trade or whether it was because we say, if you do this, we're going to nuke your capital. Either way, everybody listened. And it seemed like when they went on their G7s, G20s, all these, you know, the UN assembly got together, it it was a lot more buddy-buddy than it was now. You know, you don't have the BBC going in and talking to the, uh, you know, the guy who's in charge of South Africa like they did last week on the show and say like, oh, 
Putin's coming here. Why aren't you arresting him? He's like, fuck you. Where's the yellow cake? How many people? You killed 9 million people in Iraq. Like, yeah, Tony Blair should have rode a nuclear warhead out of fucking Iraq after the spiel that him and George W. Bush put on for this country. 100%. And, and the accountability is zero. And, and the memory of people is less. That's why I'm glad we're in this spot right now to where every week we can kind of take you down not only the current events and the news and memory lane, and as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with now News Nation's national correspondent, Jorge Ventura, and in our last audio clip of the week, let's recap it with one of our favorite super professional speakers, former Trump administration official Stephen Miller, as he gives a recap on Donald Trump's week in Iowa. Tonight on that town hall with Sean Hannity. Well, obviously, that's President Trump in his element. I worked with him. I was at his side for six years. He is incredible when he's with real Americans out there in the country, interacting with them, taking their questions. Remember, he spent his entire life for decades before politics working on construction sites with blue-collar workers, everyday citizens. So that's where he feels most comfortable. And you really saw him shine in that venue. But on a substantive and a policy analysis, I think what he said about Ukraine as his priority is so important to bring peace back to Europe. Mm. We have the greatest threat of nuclear war in our country since the height in the world, since the height of the Cold War. And if this primary is going to be about anything, and if this general election is going to be about anything, what could possibly be more important than restoring peace to Europe in the world, a peace that we had anew, but just a little bit more than two years ago? It seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Right. Totally. And listen, when you just look at the situation, we were so much more ship shape in the 80s during the Cold War. We were literally finding these double agents, these Russian spies in our country, and there was espionage all over the place. And, you know, large faucets of our intelligence community and our military branches, the Department of Defense, the gang over at the Pentagon that haven't passed an audit in 47 years, <laughs> they would talk to their counterparts and be like, nah, you got me this time, but wait till you see what we got in store for you. It was tick for tack. Right. And there was two strong leaders who knew both of their fingers were on the red button. Gorbachev, obviously, and, and Ronald Reagan. But when they met, their fingers couldn't have been further away. And when you look at the way of how the Soviet Union fell and why and how it's taken us to this point in time, Vladimir Putin is a lot more like Gorbachev than Joe Biden is like Ronald Reagan. We need someone who at least garners the respect that Ronald Reagan did on a geopolitical scale back in the White House. You think after they saw Joe Biden eat shit yesterday at the Air Force Academy graduation and then smash his head today coming out of Marine One? The highest levels of our deepest enemies across this planet right now see that shit on TV and they'd be like, they're probably taking bets. Like, I bet you we could actually fucking, if there were no nukes involved, we could probably walk right in there and fucking take the place. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the men and women who are supposed to be defending this country are being exposed and completely abused to, to drag queen recruitment hour 
DEI training, getting fucking kicked out for not taking vaccines or saying somebody's pronouns correctly. And it's just like we, we've slippery slope in such a short amount of time as, as Stephen Miller alluded to is just something that we just all can't take for granted. It's one of the largest component. Our reissuance of our geopolitical footing in 2025 determines on whether or not this country probably survives. Because if we don't, we won't need a war. Four more years of anything else besides Donald Trump means the BRICS nations, China and Russia at the top of it, they will globally strangle us slowly until we're not a country anymore. They're already starting to do it. Exactly. Still like, gonna... I don't like paying $10 for it. I went and got gas this morning. It was five and a half bucks for a gallon of premium garbage. So as we're getting ready right now to jump in with Jorge Ventura, and as we get ready to say goodbye for the week, we're going to continue, obviously, to keep a track of everything that's going on in the GOP primary. Looks like next week, Sununu, the large one, Chris Christie and Mike Pence are going to make it official. So we'll have some great sound bites from them as well. But before we jump in with Jorge, let's hear one more time from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the longstanding MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code stake at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he is now a national correspondent for News Nation. One of our great friends. We're happy to have him back, Mr. Jorge Ventura. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's our pleasure. Well, we want to congratulate you on uh, moving over to News Nation. That's probably been a big jump for you, getting into a lot more living rooms every night, which deservedly so. You've been at ground zero of everywhere from the summer of love to the crisis on the border. Uh, a year ago, you were out in Uvalde, Texas, and... Uh, and, and now a lot more people are seeing the amazing work that we've been tracking for a long time here on the show. So congratulations to that. How's that transition been for you? You know, man, it's been, it's been pretty smooth. You know, there's, there's, there's going to be some new challenges. I was, you know, I was with the Daily Caller world, so it's more, you know, digital media. Um, and now, you know, I'm transitioning to a TV network. So it's, it's a lot faster paced. We're pushing out a lot more stories. But being with News Nation, I have a lot more resources by my side. Um, so it's been really great to have like a full team, you know, producers, cameramen. Um, and I think it's really enhancing the storytelling for the audience. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, one of the things that you're have excelled at for a long time, Jorge, and we're glad that you are having the opportunity to do it on a much larger level. Now, listen, we want to talk obviously about one of the things that's been negatively affecting this country for decades, but it's really been under the microscope both on a very small and enormous scale since Joe Biden took office. And that's what's going on down at the Southern border. You were down there when title 42 expired. We didn't see the massive wave. Uh, you know what Republicans might've said could have happened when title 42 expired. However, the number of people coming in now is still at all time highs, including getaways. So as someone that was down there when, when it finally broke and you saw some of the chaos, even though 
at some points it was controlled. What can you tell our listenership about what it really looked like at Ground Zero? Yeah, so, you know, I arrived um, in El Paso for the ending of Title 42, actually, on Cinco de Mayo, which was a Friday. And I immediately headed to the downtown area. And I've been in El Paso before when, um, you know, they've been overflowed with migrants. And, you know, you, you have to basically have migrants sleeping on the streets. Last time I was there, I was in December. And there was maybe 300 to 500 people sleeping on the streets. And it was pretty bad because you got, you got to actually see kids like wrapped in blankets on sidewalks. Like it wasn't a good scene. And on Friday of that Cinco de Mayo, when I went to, to downtown, I was like just completely shocked. I mean, there was, I think over 2000 people living on the streets of, of downtown. I mean, it looked like you were in Los Angeles, you know, to be, to be quite frank. I mean, it just looked horrible seeing the massive amount of bodies, kids, babies. Now the majority on this one was single men. Uh, but there were still kids out there that were living in alleys. I mean, you literally had camping tents loaded up all on the sidewalk. It was really, really dirty. Um, so you really got to see that part, which is the humanitarian crisis. And the city was basically just like trying to scramble for resources. I know um, the mayor declared an emergency, which opened up a convention center and some middle schools and some access to federal funding. But it looked horrible down there. And um, the majority of the men at that time that were that were in the El Paso area were actually uh, technically gotaways. Um, many of them actually were not apprehended by Border Patrol, never went through processing. Um, so they stayed near, near the, they call it the Sacred Heart Church, because federal uh, law enforcement can't step on that church. So they, they were all kind of surrounding there. And it looked, like I said, pretty bad, open drug use. Um, a lot of the locals were just really upset because these people were basically sleeping outside of their apartments. Um, and it looked like it was kind of third world country. Um, and that was kind of the start of my trip. And then leading up to title 42, which was the, the following week, we just kept seeing massive, I mean, you guys probably seen the images of it, but massive groups of migrants moving. I think the, the average at that time was 10,000 people per day. And El Paso was just seeing so many of it. And, I mean, we're talking about massive amount of groups just continue to move in. Um, now, the majority of these migrants that I was encountering in El Paso, I think it was the same in Brownsville, uh, were majority Venezuelan. Many of them um, been in Juarez for months. They've been trying to get an asylum interview on the, on the government-run app. It's called CDP-1, where they have to schedule an interview. Um, then, like that, they get an asylum interview at the port of entry. I mean, basically, they get led into the U.S. Um, after that. Uh, but many of them have been telling me that the, you know, the app has been crashing. I actually went to Mexico to, to document that as well. But, um, yeah, leading up to Title 42 was total chaos. I mean, we're talking about over 10,000 apprehensions per day. El Paso was getting hit very hard. Um, and the thing is, they were getting so many migrants, they were just releasing them onto the streets. So when I would go interview the migrants, you know, I'm expecting them to have court maybe in three months, six months, maybe a year to the latest. And I kept seeing dates for 2027, 2026, 2025, um, just years, years out. And, you know, I was like, hey, where are you going? You know, you're getting mixed sense. Hey, I'm headed to New York City. I'm headed to Chicago. One of the top cities that I kept hearing, which I was kind of shocked, was Denver. So I kept hearing a lot of Venezuelans going to Denver. Um, but it was just a huge kind of chaos leading up to that uh, expiration that, that was on a Thursday on May 11th. Yeah, the amount of people that keep coming in, and I know you've mentioned a couple times the gotaways now. I mean, we did uh, see not too long ago they apprehended a one of the you know most wanted people on the terrorist watch list out here in the 
San Diego County. And uh, you can only imagine, I mean, over the course of the last two and a half plus years now of the probably millions of gotaways uh, that have came through the border, you know, unchecked and just are into the wind, how many more people of, of at least that caliber or worse could have snuck in, uh, you know, with the extensive amount of human trafficking that's going on down there and, and, and the way that Border Patrol is completely you know, overran in regards to uh, how many people they have to process. Like you said, at some points they're just, you know, letting the people come in and, and releasing them onto the streets and in cities in Texas and Arizona. And, and they're winding up in places like, I mean, we've seen, you know, uh, concerns raised in New York and, and of course, Chicago, Washington, D.C. And now you're saying Denver, Colorado as well. That's pretty crazy to hear. Yeah, and I wanted to mention this. You know, I was I was in Denver in January because the city of Denver at that time was on the brink of an emergency. So they were having so many migrants coming from Venezuela, um, basically crossing into El Paso, then from El Paso, they would be taking buses to Denver, that the city of Denver was almost on the brink of an emergency because their homeless shelters were running out of room with migrants. And I remember I, you know, I arrived in downtown Denver and I just visited a couple of the homeless shelters. And um, yeah, there were just hundreds of, Venezuelans out in the streets. Um, many of them, you know, were seeing snow for the first time in in, in Denver. Um, but the city was already feeling the impact. And then the governor of Colorado was actually even fighting with uh, the mayor of Chicago, Lightfoot, because uh, you know they're, they're saying, "Hey, you guys are sending migrants here. We we can't take them anymore. You should take our migrants." So it's been a whole mess. And I think now what's really interesting is the mayor who's feeling the most impact is actually Mayor Eric Adams of New York City, obviously a, a Democrat. He is feeling, a ma- I mean, huge amounts of pressure now because he's busting migrants to other counties in New York, and those counties are actually, like, fighting back. Um, they're filing lawsuits. I know Rockland and Orange County out there in New York have filed lawsuits against uh, New York. I believe the city of Colony out there in, in um, Albany County um, also filed, like, an executive order. So, so Mayor Adams now is feeling... Huge amounts of pressure, and I believe the last number I got is 40,000 migrants living in New York City, depending on city resources, um, you know, like shelter, food, and other basic necessities. So it's complete chaos right now in New York. Yeah, we saw that uh, Governor Holchel announced not too long ago that they've had to appropriate an extra billion dollars to take care of the migrants. I believe it's 60,000 statewide and over 40,000, like you said, living in the city. Now, Jorge, we, we just found out yesterday, kind of went under the radar. I, I saw it very not so much reported on any of the mainstream media, but I caught it on Twitter. It looks like the uh, chief of the Border Patrol, Chief Ortiz, is set to retire at the end of June now. Uh, he looks like might be taking a little bit of the fall for the, the chaos that's ensued since the Biden administration took over. However, uh, the buck stops with DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. As much as they try and, and pull this guy in and out of committee, you have all the America First congressmen up on Capitol Hill saying, like, it's so weird. This is like the biggest crisis our nation's ever seen, but we don't have the votes to impeach the guy. Do you see him being held accountable for any of this uh, at some point over the course of the next year and a half? Um, I mean, you know, it, it really depends on, you know, the House Republicans that they could even, you know, bring him to testify. I know um, Mallorca has been very, I would say, like, he has ignored a lot of the media and he, he's done certain interviews with like CBS and other outlets. And they've been, you know, they just haven't hit him with those hard hitting questions. I know um, he was in El Paso in December with Biden. And if you just spoke to the El Paso residents, they were all angry that they basically saw a very cleaned up version 
uh, you know, the border. I believe they even visit like a migrant processing center that had zero migrants. I don't know how that works. Um, but my, my, the thing is, is if you speak with border patrol agents, like speak with people in the field, um, there's no one in border patrol who thinks Mayorkas is doing a, a good job. There's a huge lack of trust. Um, I know, I, I believe it was sometime last year, a uh, reporter um, for Town Hall Media, Julio Rosas, was able to obtain, uh, when Mayorkas was like meeting with the agents, one of the agents was like, was like directly just like kind of shouting at Mayorkas saying, I, I, I might butcher this statement saying that, you know, evil prevails when good men stand down. Yeah. And Border Patrol agents, you could just feel like their morale is as low as ever. The, the quote that I would never forget is I was speaking to a Border Patrol agent in Yuma, and he just, you know, laid it out, said, he's like, hey, we are just Uber drivers. You know, we just pick up migrants from the border and we take them to a processing center and we just do that back and forth. Um, and so their morale, is, it's lower than ever. And it's, um, you know, I've just been surprised of the things that Mallorcas has been able to survive. It's one thing, you know, obviously we're dealing with the border, so the apprehensions are, are record-setting, the gotaways are record-setting. But if you guys remember, um, back, I think it was the end of 2021, is when we had the 15,000 Haitians come into Del Rio. Yeah. Uh, Mallorcas was really on the front lines of, uh, of really putting the blame on agents, saying, hey, the agents were whipping the migrants. And he kind of fell for that fake story. And then they did their own investigation and found out that they never got whipped. Those agents still got put on death duty. That was a huge moment with Border Patrol because that basically was like, hey, if you're not going to have our, our back when we did nothing wrong, and, you know, we're, we're kind of taking on this media onslaught, um, then, you know, we can't work for you. It's like almost like, think about it as like, you know, with your kids, like, you know, if, if your kids are in a sports team, right, and the coach is a great coach, you know, your, your kid is going to run through the wall for that great coach. But if he's, you know, if he doesn't care about the team or the players, then, you know, you, you have people saying, like, well, why am I even putting on a uniform for this guy, you know, if, if he's leading us the wrong way? So it, it, it's really hard to imagine. It seems like he's been really protected by, you know, Democratic President Biden. I know Ortiz is going to take a lot of the flack, um, and, and then rightfully so. You know, agents Ortiz wasn't stepping up as well. But I, it's really hard to see Mallorca's even, you know, being forced to resign at this point because he's been, he, he's got to survive so much. And then now what the Biden administration is going to do, and they're, cause they're already doing it, because they're saying, hey, um, now with Title Eight and, you know, Title 42 not here, the crossings are down. So we're doing a great job now. And I think they're going to try to point to that and kind of try to hang on that as like a, as a victory, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. You know, and, and we've talked to a lot of people, you know, Tom Holman, who's the former ICE director, he did, you know, a lot of work over the course of his career in the Border Patrol. And, uh, you know, he said that they're hiding a lot of these numbers inside of the, uh, like you mentioned, the CBP-1 app. And, uh, you know, they're letting these people come in now scheduled, and they're not counting them as border apprehensions anymore. So when they talk about especially those three Latin American countries that KJP always circles back to and says like, oh, yeah, they're down like 90%. It's just because now you're allowing them to come in. They're not illegal crossings anymore. So, but, uh, you know, it's affecting the country. It's definitely affecting the communities on the border. It's keeping you in business, and that's why we like having you on the show, Jorge. We want to be able to direct everyone that isn't already following you to not only check out News Nation. We'll live link them in the show description today, but uh, social media is where can we find you? Yeah, so the best two places, guys, for the audience. Um, first one will be on Twitter. So if you guys go on Twitter and type in, you know, Jorge Ventura Media or just Ventura Report, uh, my, pro- my profile should pop up. Um, Twitter is great because we're breaking news there in real time. All the updates go there, videos, everything. And then Instagram is great at Jorge Ventura TV. There I'm posting the same reporting that I'm doing, 
but I'm, I'm adding a little bit more. So what I'll do is I, I, I post a lot of stories that I find interesting, you know, on the internet. I, um, I'm really getting into, it's really cool news nation. I'm getting into a lot of just true crime now, um, which is a, is an alley that I like to report on. So follow me for that. Cause you'll get border updates. You'll get true crime updates. Um, just did like a story a month ago on Chinese organized crime in Oklahoma, uh, involved in the black market marijuana business. And uh, actually just yesterday, um, I actually broke the story on the Marines that were assaulted on in Santa Clemente for, yeah. for folks who've seen it. It was a video of like 30, 40 teenagers just, I mean, just beating on these Marines, kicking them, stomping them. And uh, we finally got it confirmed yesterday that there have been arrests made. They've actually been all minor. Yep. So um, their names won't be released to the public, but they're, but it's, it's a pretty interesting story. So, yeah, follow me on those both social media accounts. We have a lot of um, good stuff coming. Obviously, border coverage, crime, and I'm still going to be diving deep into the illegal marijuana that's not not just affecting California now, affecting states like Oregon and, like I said, just uh, the state I was just in in, uh, in Oklahoma. So it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Big stuff going on, and uh, I, at least I know now. Next time you join us on the show, Jorge, we want to do just a true crime segment because that kind of uh, piques my interest. I know Noah's eyebrows went up when you mentioned it, and yep. uh, like I said gotta follow this guy on social media the first place i saw the san clemente beating yesterday was on his twitter feed and then the most comments i get on my instagram shared videos are those ones where you're on the border and you're like literally right where it's happening and people just comment like oh my god or i can't believe it's this bad or they never show this stuff on tv people have no idea no they don't and and it's people like you that's waking them up for hey so we'll be looking forward to having you uh, back again on the show soon, and uh, you take care and stay safe out there. This is a national correspondent at News Nation now, Jorge Ventura. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, really appreciate it, guys. Not too bad of a way to end the week. I'd say, what do you think, Noah? But he's out of the office today. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now over 240 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Make sure you subscribe to the show and rate it. And of course, you should be joining us at our new landing page at thenationalpulse.com. That's thenationalpulse.com. Sign up for Pulse Plus and get that exclusive content, which includes our Sunday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, Red Meat. Again, another teaser. This week we'll be sitting down with New York General Republican Club President Gavin Wax, talking all about the Babylon beef. Thanks to all of our guests that joined us today, Congressman Corey Mills, Congressman Wesley Hunt, True Social CEO Devin Nunes, and News Nation's national correspondent Jorge Ventura. They definitely helped make steak great again. Guys, don't fret, and surely don't worry, because we'll be back on Tuesday with episode 245 of the Steak for Breakfast content. And we're going to be joined by Colonel Douglas McGregor, former Senate candidate Sean Parnell, former Trump Deputy Assistant Theo Wold, and Gavin Wax will be here again. On behalf of the whole pod team that's not here, I'm Roan. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. And let's have some pizza, right? Okay. Powered by the National Pulse.